What's up, boys and girls? Listen, right now we have a giveaway going on with Double T British Kennels. Mr. Corey over there at Double T British Kennels, he is generously giving away a brand new puppy. It will go home to you in the fall. If you go over to our Facebook channel or my Instagram, uh, all the rules are on it. So head over to the Big Honker Podcast on Facebook. Watch the video. It's a giveaway that you're going to want to get into. Who doesn't want a brand new puppy? Also, go over to our YouTube channel right now. This is a step to get into the giveaway. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Big Honker Podcast. Every Thursday night, we are releasing a brand new episode of The First Family of Waterfowl. And they did a really good job on it this year. It is It has been a lot of fun to watch this project come together. And that is every Thursday. So we would appreciate it if you would go over to YouTube, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Big Honker Podcast. Easy to find. Also, go check out Boss Shot Shells. If you are not shooting Boss by now, you are missing out on a major advantage. It only takes one. It is copper-plated bismuth, so the physics behind it all makes sense. It travels further, faster, for longer. So um, check them out, BossShotShells.com. The brand-new War Chief is coming out soon, and you can get that shipped straight to your door. You're not going to find them in any big box stores. It's all direct to consumer. Keeps the price in check and affordable for you great hunters out there. So the War Chief is going to have a new buffering system, and it is going to keep a tighter pattern. More pellets on target at greater distances. So when that comes out there, I'm telling you, you're going to want to get a hold of it. So also, check them out at Boss Shot Shells. And the sub gauges for the older guys. Yep. If you're an older person and you're 60 plus years old and your shoulders are wore out from working hard all the time, go get the sub gauge, get you a 28 gauge. You can hunt with all your buddies, kill everything they're doing, the same knockdown power. And Boss makes the best sub gauge loads there are. So, anyways, check them out at BossShotShells.com. We have a brand new sponsor, Hemp Hill Farm. You can save money. BHP will save you 20% off at checkout. They are a CBD company. We had Patrick Nelson on not too long ago, and he told us why he started this. And his sister passed away from ovarian cancer, and they got involved in CBD to, as a pain management. So. And that's Hemp Hill Farms. That's H-E-M-P Hemp Hill, like Hill, H-I-L-L. Farm is P-H-A-R-M, like pharmacy, hemphillfarm.com. 20% off your next order using BHP at checkout. And it is all CBD and all... It's legal to ship to all states, but I'm telling you right now, it's good stuff. I take one at sleep every night. helps me sleep at night. You get the ouchies. You can rub the roll-on on you. Immediate help. Hemphillfarm.com. Next, we are brought to you by Pacific Calls. And right now... You can save money with them too. We have a promo code with them. BHP25 saves 25% off at checkout. My favorite call, my favorite goose call is the BA Lesser call. They did an absolutely phenomenal job in the design of it. It is a short little screamer. It's loud, It, but it also has a lot of range, which is what I look for in a goose call. Uh, it's loud, it's very responsive, and it's got a great range. Also, my favorite duck call, the PCD, is available online right now. And for you... Stork Hunters, the Sandhill Steakhouse Crane Call is what I use anytime I have to trick those wary bastards. Uh, but go to PacificCustomCalls.com, use our promo code BHP25. They will also be at Squad Fest and Delta. So if you want to call in person, come to any of those hunting shows and they will be there. They're great guys to work with. So go check them out, PacificCustomCalls.com, promo code BHP25. 
Also, we're brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Squad Fest is coming up in just a couple short weeks, July 28th and 29th. I will be there along with a lot of our other sponsors. It's going to be a great time. We hope to see everybody out at St. Louis. It's going to be a great time. Calling contests, music, and uh, dinner Friday night, and it's going to be going to be a great party to kick off waterfowl season always a good time they've got amazing products they've revolutionized the silhouette game uh so if you're wanting to run silhouettes they are the way to go they're affordable and they don't take up much space and they look great you do not need full bodies to kill geese so check out their silhouettes they've got a floater line out they got it all so divebombindustries.com they're pretty much a one-stop shop we're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. I am a cold brew guy now. I got my pitcher in. It's super easy to make. Dirty Duck Coffee makes the King Eider brew, and that is their cold brew that they have just released just a couple months ago. It's great for an afternoon pick-me-up. It's summertime. It's hot outside. I don't want to drink hot coffee all the time, but I do need my caffeine fix. Every afternoon about 3.30, I make me a nice cold brew with a little bit of uh, goodness inside of it. And that's how I get through my afternoons. They've also got great, they got a Missouri boat ride blend. That's my favorite coffee for in the morning and uh, high velocity for those days that I'm needing a little bit of an extra caffeine kick. So they got it all. Head over to dirtyduckcoffee.com and you can figure out what works for you and they'll ship it straight to you. But yeah, check out the King Eider. I like it. Also, we're brought to you by Shin Gear. They are not just a waiter company anymore. As a matter of fact, they've got bibs coming out. They've got a new jacket coming out that they're very excited about, the Flyway jacket. I just saw it today. Uh, it looks great. All of their products are above and beyond expectations. They, they beat every expectation that you can have. I can tell you that the bibs are some of the best that I've ever worn. They're totally windproof, totally waterproof, uh, and, they, and they, keep, they keep you dry and warm. Um, you can layer up underneath them. You're not going to find bibs that are that are any better anywhere else. They're my favorite. All of their jackets are great. Their waders are phenomenal. And that every one of their products comes with the guarantee that they will stand behind it for as long as you stand in it. So check them out, shingear.com, and make a purchase. You're not going to be disappointed. They're great people, and we're proud to be associated with them. Also, we're brought to you by the Looking Glass Podcast. Head over to their Patreon account, give them some money, and you will have their entire library of debauchery. Logan and Rebel put on a very, very good show, and for those long road trips, they are a great show to listen to, uh, and you're not going to meet two nicer individuals than Logan and Rebel. So head over to Patreon, Looking Glass Podcast, and put in your credit card information, and you're set and ready to go. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. Motion. It's dove season, and it's time for spinners. Motion. You need motion if you're going to dove hunt. It is a game changer because they'll do it just like ducks will. You put out five or six of those uh, dove spinners, and your dove will put on a show, just like your ducks. And They will fly across the field to come in to land and decoy to you. Once you do it, you'll never hunt the old way again. What's good about it is you can sit in your tailgate, get you some lawn chairs around there, all your buddies sit around together, put the spinners out, and you can hunt a spread and you're visiting. you got to be spread out by 50 to 75 yards and hollering and bird, bird, bird. They'll come right to you. Lots of fun. So check them out. They've also got dog kennels, five-star crash test rated, phenomenal uh, A-frame blinds, and world-class duck spinners. So if you need motion, check them out, luckyduck.com, and just have a field day on their website. Order one of everything. 
Also, we're brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. They have been putting ducks back into the sky for 85 years, and they are a great partner to be with. If it weren't for organizations like Ducks Unlimited, we wouldn't have the ducks that we do now. They're putting money back into wetland conservation and wetland development and and healthy duck population. More duck habitat. We are happy to be a part of them, and you can join their team. You know, figure out a way, start a chapter, join a chapter. Uh, There's lots of ways to get involved and your money will be put to work. So Ducks Unlimited is a great company and you need to be a part of them. We're also brought to you by Double T British Kennels. If you are needing a puppy, a started dog, finished dog, Corey can help you out. Uh, There is a bit of a waiting list. So just go to his website, Brit Labs, and uh, you can get signed up and you know, tell them what you're looking for, tell them what you're wanting, and as soon as one becomes available, you'll be the proud owner of a Double T British Lab. They're great citizens. You, they're not unruly in the house. They got very good manners, and they've also got a lot of drive. You do not want a hunting dog that doesn't have a lot of drive. So all of Corey's dogs, they're very, very well-mannered, but they've also got a ton of incredible drive. So you're getting the best of both worlds with a Double T Lab. So check them out, BritLabs.com. Also, we're brought to you by Mossberg. I shot their waterfowl gun all last year, and it held up. It held up to the beating of hunting seven days a week. Ran everything that I wanted to through it. It's one of those OG companies. So you see a Mossberg behind the counter at Academy or Bass Pro or Cabela's. Listen, take it out for a test drive. They've been there a long time. Been making quality guns for 100 years. That's at Mossberg.com. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Alpha Outdoors Specialties, the maker of the Stanfield stool. It's going to save my back this season is what it's going to do. Save my back and my butt. No more sitting on buckets. They've also got a brand new product. Can we talk about it? Yes. The Blind Caddy. It is going to have everything that you need for shotgun shells, coffee mugs, you name it. It it is going to fit on A-frame. It's going to fit on the inside of an A-frame. And keep all of your stuff out of the dirt, out of the mud, and keep it handy to where you can grab it if you need it in a hurry. And they will be at Delta. Come by and sit there and see them. They'll have Stanfield stools in stock there. Come On by display. And, yep. Test test, cool. test set in them. Very good. That is Alpha Outdoors Specialties. That is it for us. Thank you for tuning in. God bless. All right, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Ben Commodore of Cloud9 Outfitters up there in the land of Maple Syrup, Canada. And um, interesting guy, just started his own outfit, and he's getting ready to rock and roll here in just a couple weeks. And the Pacific guys, the the boys from Pacific are actually going out there to hunt with him late September. Uh, So, yeah, get him on here. Great guy. Uh, talk, uh, Talk a lot of hunting, dog training, living in Canada. We got it all in here. It's a lot of fun talking to him. Enjoy this episode. Here he is, Ben Commodore. Did you call them a bunch of dumbasses? Who? The people that turned off our air. Yes. <laughs> we'll survive. We'll survive. Three, 
Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast in the sweltering confines of hell in Knox City, Texas, in Studio A, where they turned the fucking air conditioners off yesterday on us, and we just found out this morning. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. I opened that door, and I was like, whew, it's a little steamy in here. We just, they they serviced air conditioners on Saturday. Mm-hmm. No, they did them yesterday. They did them Sunday. Oh, well, at least I haven't been off and Tony, all weekend. And this yeah. is exactly what Tony tells me. Good gosh, those new systems, if we change the filters about every two months, he goes, it's blowing so cold right now. I was like, hell yeah. Oh. I have to take a hoodie tomorrow to work. Walked in here, and I saw the deal, and I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And then the office was hot, and I thought, well, at least the studio. They probably had the door closed. Nope. Hell no. I'm thinking what they said is, like, we got to work in the heat so they can work in the heat. I guarantee you that was part of the conversation. Well, we probably saved $3.27 by turning it off overnight. So big whoopity fucking do on that deal. With yeah. us today from Cloud9 Outfitters in Alberta, Mr. Ben Commodore. Ben, how are you doing, sir? I am good. How are you guys What's doing? What's the weather like up there? I don't even want to know. Just uh, <laughs> t- Today's rainy. Uh, Got us. Trying to do the quick math in my head. Probably somewhere around 70, 75. Um and uh it has been hot we had we were sniffing around 100 over the weekend but uh it's nice for the cool down damn it gets but y'all's humidity is not real bad where you're at is it no not an ounce of humidity yeah, so it's your which is nice your 100 degrees our 100 degrees is hot but it's and we got 25 percent humidity it's not bad you get to dallas it's 100 it's a lot worse yeah. dallas is probably 50 percent humidity and then if you get to Louisiana, yeah, that just sounds miserable. Louisiana, it's right at ninety nine point nine 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 and terrible. Now you spend a lot of time in America, or you have. How is it hard whenever you get over here and everything's Fahrenheit and that's all you see? No, it, I mean the quick math. I, I've gotten somewhat good at trying to do it on the fly. The Celsius to going from Celsius to Fahrenheit, you just double the Celsius, add thirty two, and you do the opposite going the other way. So you just have to kind of be quick at doing it in your head. Double it and add thirty two. Um, Andy's so fucking lost right now. Andy would have to have a calculator every morning to see what the temperature is. <laughs> What's well? Hold on, no, I can figure this shit out. What's it in Celsius right now? Where you're at? Twenty. So it'd be twenty five right so 50 now. Fifty plus thirty two. What is that? Seventy five, just like you said. No, it's eighty two. Eighty two. See, I told you. I was off. I told you. He did fuck it all up. But see, it's easy when you come here and someone says it's ninety seven. Well, it's ninety seven. That's good. I got so it's confused. The same with Celsius, there. dickhead. No, it's different. No. Are y'all? Are y'all? Y'all are also on metric up there, aren't y'all? Oh yeah, kilometers. Now. I mean, I have my ticket. I did my electrical many moons ago in a former life, and everything is still inches, feet yards but in school they teach us centimeters millimeters meters all that stuff i've never understood why the hell we have to have two systems i just don't get it somebody well metric is the older one right like that is i don't know you're looking the wrong person i grew up with inches and feet the one that we have is newer i believe i think it was always centimeters and meters and stuff like that i know today if you went to a high school in the united states of america and you pulled out a tape measure and you told people to read one Probably 2% of the fucking kids in class even have a clue what a tape measure is and then actually would know how to use one. And that's yeah, sad. I'd, I'd probably say it's about the same up here, too. And, and, and <laughs> it, it is it, sad. It's terribly sad. I have hell with kilometers. Like, like driving and shit, when I'm in Canada driving, I'm always going way, way faster than I should be. So, But I do that in America, too. It, so. That's fair. Yeah, the, I like the I like the miles per hour because it's sixty miles an hour. It takes you an hour. You know for sure you're an hour getting there. At a, it's oh, it's a hundred kilometers, 
like it, it just the math is a little bit simpler on on the on the miles an hour stuff but yeah it's the, i found actually was one thing that was really strange was when i was in this in, the, in america renting a vehicle y'all don't have the uh kilometers and the miles per hour on the speedometer whereas up here we have right. both yeah yep and now the newer vehicles so my old truck it's got the little bar of kilometers so when i was in canada it was pretty easy but now i don't think my new one it might be able to switch over i don't know that's why i'd get i'd be so fucked well i just know that 100 100 kilometers an hour is like 60 miles an hour so yeah there's roughly and y'all speed limits are a lot lower than ours is correct well 160 usually yeah usually so I'd say Alberta, Alberta for sure, Saskatchewan's up there too, but definitely Alberta has probably the fastest speed limits, somewhere around 110 on the main routes, 110 kilometers, which is sniffing around like 70, 65, 70. Yeah, ours are, there's some now in America, 80 and 85. <clears throat> and yep. some of the places that they, I was in Montana just hauling ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should even have a speed limit there. Just yeah, let you go. You're not going <laughs> to no, see they anybody else for two more hours. So, while we're talking Canada, so, so I saw uh, y'all's twatless fucking or the twat y'all's prime minister, uh, Justin Obama Trudeau. <laughs> I saw he's getting a divorce now. Yeah, they've been separated for a while. At least, at least if you, you know, put, if, I like to put the tinfoil hat on every now and again and dive down the rabbit hole. And it, you know, th- depending on where you look, he's been, they've been separated since pre-COVID. Oh, they're just now making it official. Yeah, it's just, I mean, something's been off because you just never saw them publicly together a whole bunch, whereas, you know, former prime ministers and even presidents, um, you know, they were always in public with their significant other, and you never really saw much right. of them. I heard she was banging the black James Bond, the guy that wanted to play James Bond, the black guy. Idris Elba? That's him, yes. Can you blame her? I don't want to bang him. <laughs> actually, yeah. He's gonna be- I, I did see that one, too. Actually, actually yeah. I bet he's got a hose anyways, so no, he would not be my choice. He's going to be James Bond. Like, who? Like, how can you resist him? Don't even get me going down that path. Yeah. James I, uh, Bond should be a English white guy. Friday he should is be English white guy. Why does he have to be white? Because that's the way it was made. I don't know why we got to oh, change shit up. Steel Magnolia should be white people. Good Time Sanford and Son should be black people. If they make a new Shaft movie, it should be a black person. That's not racist. That's just the way it is. I disagree with you. Idris Elba could play James Bond. And I'm a, well, he's, he's an going English, to. He's an Englishman, a proper guy. I like the guy. I don't have nothing against him. I just think it ought to be a white white dude playing that spot role. Let me tell you something. I don't have a big problem with him playing James Bond. And that's fine. Just like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They should have fucking seven dwarfs. They shouldn't be fucking tall people. They should be dwarfs. Now, that I disagree. That I agree with you on. And I saw fucking Wee Man coming out bitching about that. Yeah. He's taking taking fucking jobs from little people. There's not enough of them out here anyways. (laughs) We're having a hard enough time as it is surviving. And he said... Little people can't find big roles. <laughs> is that what he said? Yeah. And I, right. and I agree with him. I just think there's something. But anyways, that's a guy supposedly she's been banging or she banged or something. I don't know. I saw a picture of uh, Trudeau next to Castro, and they are almost identical. <laughs> almost identical. That's because it's his son. I, I know that. But like that, the nose yeah. and all sorts of stuff. That's, that's one that they uh, – that, that one is – they feel like, you know, you go back and look at like family photos that they've had and they spend a ton of time together back when his dad was alive and prime minister and even post. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of, I've seen one where they did like, a, they put the two faces and cut it down the right. middle and separated on the nose. And it was like, the only difference was the beard. Yeah, Trudeau, that's his daddy. 
And the Obama daughters, we have no idea who their dad or their mom is, probably. So there we are. See, look at him, Jeff, right there. Like that's the same nose and everything. Oh, I'm I'm telling you, it's his dad. His mom was quite the old, uh, sluttyish woman because she also, I think, slept with uh, Keith Richards or Mick Jagger. So his mom got around pretty well. I, I had heard that. Yeah, yeah I listened to a yeah. podcast. That, that's and they they talked about that. I guess the Stones came to. I think it was the Stones. It was some big rock group. But I'm pretty sure it was the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it was the Stones. And it was Keith Richards yeah. or Mick Jagger. Yeah. And they might have both had her. I Yeah, I, I had heard that one too. Yeah, they, and they were very close together on that. It, you, you, again, a lot of – like you see it up here. I'm sure you guys do see some of it, but it, it's pretty crazy the difference that uh, – like kind of the stuff that they're trying to do up here, what's going on up here. And, and you, yeah, you see the stuff with – the Rolling Stones. I've seen the stuff with, uh, obviously, the Castro stuff's a pretty big one, and it's uh, now the the trending thing is is if he couldn't run his marriage, then he, how can he run his country? <laughs> he's, he's failing the country too, and yeah. Well, some some the, of that is his, a little unfair. His wife is not an unattractive yes. lady, and um, like Donald Trump's wife, I could see where a lot of rock stars want to sleep with her. Uh, Michelle Obama, no, nobody ever, nobody wanted to ever, including a Barack probably. But the Trudeau lady's an attractive lady, and his mom was an attractive lady, so I could see him. Hey, what did uh, Canada and the U.S., they recently just did something. Bringing birds back, You, I just saw this. Fuck, I'm going to screw it all up. But you don't have to, you can like take the skin off or something. It was some COVID, or no, it was the bird flu thing from last year, and now it's different. I don't know if you saw it or can not. Can you bring birds back from Canada? Yeah, so the last thing I saw and the last information I have was, yes, you can bring birds back. Um, my understanding is is you're good to bring them back full now. Uh, so if guys want to take them home to get them taxidermied, you're clear to do that. But um, for sure, you, you just wing them. They have to have the wing on them. Obviously, that still exists. But yes, my understanding is you can still transport. You can now transport birds back to um, the United States. Last year, you could not Would, at all? Correct. Uh, I think they changed it late, but it was one of those things that it was, I saw both sides of it where it was like, this is ridiculous and silly because the bird's just going to fly over anyways. But on the flip side, and I talked with a friend who older gentleman who retired biologist and we were chatting about it and uh, his study was kind of in parasitology, stuff like that. And he said that it was one of those, they're controlling what they can control. So the, the guy in Denver, that's going to take the bird from Saskatchewan, you know, he, that bird would have never made it to Denver. And if that one's carrying avian, he takes it home and now he infects the chicken plant in de- somewhere in de- whatever. Right? right. So I understood both sides of it. It just, it became very frustrating, but I guess on the flip side of that, the, the question I'd ask is how many guys freelancing or coming with outfitters de- genuinely do in fact, take their birds home. And I'd be I'm curious to know what that number Pretty is. Pretty low. I it's would low. think low, low, low. And mountain wise, let's be honest. When you go to Canada to hunt birds, Unless you shoot a quill lake goose or you shoot something you just don't have where you are, nothing's in color yet, like if you shoot them later in the year. It's not, no. not like you're going to go to Canada and shoot a pintail to get mounted. I wouldn't think unless <laughs> unless that's the only place you're going to shoot a pintail. I mean, it just don't, it don't yeah, happen. I mean, up here, it doesn't. I mean, no. The, the, some of the best hunting, and I say this all the time, is the best hunting is, is November, December. Uh, up here, I find, I mean, yes, you're not getting into the snows, you're not getting into the specs, but the honker hunting and the duck hunting, um, now I haven't traveled everywhere in the world. So, but from the places I've been, I have a hard time finding anywhere better. And 
we have shot pintails here in November, December, but there's still nothing like what you see from the guys down in Texas or Louis, like Kansas, any of that. There's, I've seen one that was worthy of potentially going on a wall, and even then it was like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just too early. I, um, when, when we go to St. Lawrence Outfitters and we're going to hunt there in October, I'm hoping I get to shoot a black duck. That's my goal, and that's not something that time of year is really a lot of. It's usually a later bird for them. But if I shoot one, I don't give a fuck if that some bitch is immature or not. It's coming home with me then really? to get mounted just because I can say I shot that black duck. Mm-hmm. That doesn't entice you at all? You wouldn't like to shoot one? Duck? Yeah. Mounts don't really do much for me. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, a cool... I don't know. I don't know. I just... I, that missed me for whatever reason. I don't have any mounts in my house. Like, it just... Mm. They're all out here. Well, I'm the same way, too, there on well, that. I but I would I like to add a black duck to say I shot that in Canada just because it's a black duck. I, most amounts, I don't care. People send me a really cool bird. I'll mount it and put it in the lodge. I'm not vain enough to say, well, we shot that here. I shot that or... But I would like to shoot a black duck. I shot one when I was a kid, and I'd like to shoot one again. But that's that's one of my trophy deals. That and one of the golden eyes I'd like to shoot that they have. And I don't know if that'll be – I think we're going to be too early for all of that. Yeah. So – Yeah, I think so in October. Yeah, I, got, I got invited to go to Maine a week after we get back from both Canada trips, and I just don't have the balls to ask my wife to do that. But uh, I would <laughs> – that would be a cool trip. We get to stay on a boat and eat lobster and shoot sea ducks and some other, and that would be a cool trip. It's good being Jeff Stanfield. I'm did, not going. Did you? Well, just even having the even having the opportunity to do that, it's just good being Jeff Stanfield. Please, someone out there invite uh, Andy somewhere. No, I'm not going. Um, when when you were growing up, <laughs> did you see ducks in November and December, or is this something that's relatively new? So growing up, I grew up, unfortunately, in Ontario, uh, moved out west 11 years ago. Growing up, yeah, we still hunted. Um, we hunted ducks and geese in November, December. It was tougher. My dad was big, big game hunter, so we often spent a lot of November doing that. And then for the last 11, 12 years that I've lived out here now in Alberta, yeah, it's like November, December. They're here. I'd say you're probably starting to see more and more and more stick, but I mean, even year one, the city of Calgary will hold north of a million birds over the wow. winter. That's crazy. And that did that happen 30 years yep. ago though? Yeah. Like I'm wondering if it's just milder winters. Well, like you said, it, there's always been some birds, but you're starting to see more and more in November and December. The city of Calgary is a big blame for that. Cause it keeps the bow river open between the wastewater treatment and then just the, the overall, the, the city with the high rises you're keeping the heat in it's just warmer and the birds will keep it open too i think i mean i can't speak for 30 years ago i've talked to guys and and they've said that it's always been you hear the stories oh it used to the skies were black and then you talk to other guys and they're like man the golden days of waterfowl hunting are now there's it's never had better limits never had better opportunity more advancement in technology i just they hold it open i've seen birds in november i've had them here it'll be It'll be sniffing minus 40 because minus 40 Fahrenheit, minus 40 Celsius is the exact same temperature. And which going back to the math, don't get me even started on it. But it just happens. <laughs> I know that, that that's the same number right. on it. It just happens that way. Um, and yeah, they, they're, they'll hold. They'll sit. The geese will sit. As long as they're out of the wind, they'll hold the water open on their own. And then, yeah, it, it's insane what they put up with. And I often, I'm like, what are you doing here? I'd be. <laughs> High town at South to stay warm. Uh, we we were talking to uh, Philip Lavretsky, not the last not not last week's episode, but the time before that, 
Um, he's a he's a waterfowl biologist and studies the evolution of of waterfowl. And um, one of his hypotheses is, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but basically when they found the big geese in Rochester and they started like transplanting them and and, and spreading those genes, those were birds that did not migrate. So basically what they've done is they've introduced the gene that did not migrate and they spread it out. And now it's just making more and more birds that don't have a need to go very far south. And I'm probably butchering that. I'd have to go back and listen to it to get the exactly what he said. But I'm pretty sure that's the gist of it is we we kind of screwed up like, oh, let's, you know, what eight of them or whatever they found in Rochester. And like, oh, we need to, to spread this. We need more birds. Uh, that that carry on this lineage and might not have been a good deal because now we're getting Canada's that just will stay in Calgary or will stay in Chicago or just wherever they can find open water in the city and they're good there. They'll eat French fries. And and then you know the offset of that is is if they're staying holding water open, well if there's open water and there's feed, the ducks aren't going to go. And I mean you look at the city of Calgary, and I mean. Uh, Regina is much the same being like right there off the river and, and you get into Winnipeg and they've got now a spring honker season in Winnipeg that you can go shoot them. And you just kind of look at the trajectory, the growth of the cities and how big they get. And there's so much uh, agriculture that still happens on the outskirts or in just inside city limits. I mean, there's fields right off the highway in Calgary that you can't hunt because it's inside city limits. So you'd have to get approval to do it and it'll hold, Ducks and geese, there's enough feed in there. They'll they'll make it through the winter off that. Right. Yeah. So open water and feed. Then the geese, geese and your ducks aren't migrating south. And yeah, it's we always get laugh up here. I'm sure the there's some some truth to the heated ponds that they talk about up north. But I always laugh. I'm like, you guys are worried about Illinois and everyone with heated ponds. They haven't even left Canada <laughs> yet, man. <laughs> I, I would like to know that. Well, it's got to cover up their food. We have to have snow. Yeah. We don't have to have it 10 below zero. Yeah. We need it 25 degrees and snow and stay below 25 in the ground. We, snow I, up to your ass will move more birds than 40 minus 40. Yes. yes. I went to, uh, yep. we went to the sportsman show in Minneapolis in 1997, I believe. And it, we, we hit snow about Kansas city, started seeing snow on the ground between Wichita and Kansas city. And this was in, I want to say that show is the first week of March or it's in February, somewhere mid-February, sometime in that time frame, but there was snow on the ground. Well, when we got north of Kansas City to Iowa, by the time we got to the Iowa line, it was snow all over the ground. It was solid white from there to the fucking North Pole. And it had been that way since Thanksgiving. Yep. That was not that long ago. That was 30 years ago. We don't have those kind of winters no more like we used to. You, uh, Buffalo, New York, Last year, the year before, I can't remember, they had like eight foot of fucking snow in like two days. They had to move a football game. You know it's bad when they move a football game. They moved it from Buffalo, I think, to Cleveland or to Detroit or somewhere. But they had to move a football game because of all the snow. Well, we have a lady that's from Knox City that lives there, so I see her on Facebook, and she had pictures, and it was up over her roof, you know? She showed a picture like January 7th. Her, her ground in her backyard was just solid brown. All that snow was gone. That shit used to not happen. We do not get the same snowfall. I mean, kind of the, we always talk about the guy, the group of guys that I hunt with and, and friends of mine up here. We always talk about it was 2018 and the spring of 2018 in between the snowfall that we had throughout winter. And then we've got some early March and then we got rain middle to late March into April. 
the spring snow goose hunting in 2018 was probably the best season that I have ever experienced because there was sheet water everywhere. You couldn't drive a truck. You couldn't drive a quad in a field and even tracks. Some guys with tracks were struggling in spots with fields. We have not had a year like that since, and it's, it's progressively getting drier and drier. And this year, uh, a bunch of our irrigation districts went into panic mode and uh, started kind of cutting water off for farmers, cutting water off to certain DU projects just because it's like the main lake by me's last I heard was about 60%. Oh. Jeez. And it's mountains aren't getting the snow. We're not getting the snow. And, and that's, that's the big thing. I always get a kick out of guys, social media, they watch the temperature line and I'm like, man, pay attention to the snowfall. Don't pay attention to the temperature. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, preach that and preach that but so many you know everybody is you know they get a little bit of false hope and then you know they see that big front coming it's like really i mean if there's not it's gonna there will be some birds move but unless there's a bunch of snow behind it you're not gonna see that big uh what is it uh what do they call it snowmageddon no uh the grand passage oh you're not gonna see one of those deals we're gonna have one this year yeah in in january yeah we're gonna have what they say we are going to have a major cold front oh. around Halloween this year. Oh. Watch. Mark my words on it. Around Halloween, we're going to have a major, major, major front this Why year. Why are you saying that? Just, just because it's just, that's you feel the, it in your bones? That's the weather we're going to have this year. You look at the patterns of the different years that we've had that we're supposed to have a cold, wet winter. We usually have a massive front around Halloween. We're going to have a first massive front. I'm not saying we're going to have one November 7th and then the 14th, and, and, and like we should every week have a front, but we're going to have a massive front around October 31st, give or take set five days either way. So when is, for you, when is prime time, you know, my, take out November and December, obviously, but like when when are you the busiest with clients? I mean, season starts September 1st and we can run through till December 23rd. There's no breaks. There's no splits. There's no nothing. And yeah, I mean, September, October, everybody wants to come the first week of September. You know, I guess it depends. It depends on what you want to target. A lot of guys like that first week of September because it's, you're still, you're shooting birds with eggshells on their beak still like fresh is fresh, but then you get other guys that are, no, I don't want to shoot brown birds. I want to shoot greenheads. So they wait till October. And guys want to shoot specs versus they want to shoot snows. And typically the snows will show up late September, early October where I'm at. And then, you know, it, it just depends. It's really, we caters to kind of what the client looks for, what the guy wants to shoot. And it's one of those, if you want to shoot everything late September, early October, that's, that's the best. Time. If you don't care about the, yeah, as long as you don't care, as long as you're not going to get stuck up on the fact that every bird, every duck is not full plume. Yeah. Late September, early October. See, I would, I would think, yeah, that, yeah, that would kind of be my jam is, but I mean, you get guys that are only wanting to target like one thing, like specs versus snows and stuff. You get guys that don't like snows. Um, and I mean, myself personally, I, I don't mind a good snow goose hunt, but like when the spring rolls around, I see, I see all the guys turkey hunting. I'm like, what am I doing right now? (laughs) Yeah. Cause you go into May, right? yeah, we're April, uh, usually about that first weekend of April, they'll be here consistently. And around May 10th is usually the shutoff. And I mean, you get into May and your legal light is, you know, you're croaching in on five in the morning. So you're in the field at two to set oh. a spread and you were scouting till, you know, nine, nine thirty. Then you got to eat, make a plan. Like, and then if you get into them real good, you're up all, you don't get your nap or you don't get a chance to have a quick nap because you're cleaning birds all afternoon. <laughs> 
Snow goose hunters, y'all are insane. I gotta tell you, like that is a that's a day. That's and I, you know, I tell guys too. Like, there's always a joke that one guy that I I hunt with snows quite a bit, Joe, and he, like, man, there's something just not quite right <laughs> with you because he would even in the fall, he's like, give me the snows, the hell with the speck, the hell with the duck, give me the snows. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> no way. Give me a big old fat greasy honker, you know, touching down. I don't want to. Yeah. I, I will shoot snows, but I, I'm kind of with him. That's, that's a whole different. And are you picking up every time and setting out new every morning? Yeah. You don't have any permanent spreads? And, and if we, yeah, the permanent spread, I mean, when you come to Canada and that's kind of part of it too, it's like trying to traffic them. We have the ability to go scout, go knock on a door. It is a pain in the ass to reset. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're in the morning, typically it's a morning, uh, hunt but if in the morning it goes completely sideways we'll throw the clients out on an afternoon hunt so then we're that's another reset you're resetting twice in a day um yeah and you know sometimes it's it's 1200 socks sometimes it's 100 and 200 full bodies it really just kind of depends on on the day how the birds are playing and then never mind if you're doing an a-frame hide you don't have leaves so you've got to make a bush blind out of grass and trees and yeah it's just a process god I would. I'd be so jealous. Like whenever I see, uh, whenever I saw turkey hunters, I, I I would have the same thought you do. Like, what in the hell am I doing with my life right now? Yeah, most you're shooting three. You got three decoys to set out. You're leaning up against a yeah. tree, and then you see the pictures afterwards. They're all sitting there smoking a cigar, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking out. And I'm like, yeah. Even when it's done, I'm still gonna clean. <laughs> yeah, you got one bird to clean versus oh. however many. How what's the most? Well, how many have you killed in a, in in your snow season? What's the most? The most we did was in an afternoon, two hundred one in about two hours. Two hundred one in two hours. Cleaning two hundred one birds in night time. How long did it take you to clean birds? Uh, there was eleven of us on that hunt, and it was the 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 guys we had. It was just, that was a body hunt. That was not, no clients on that one. And that was, we cleaned those birds. I don't know. We were done in an hour, give or take. I mean, spring snows split so right. easy. They're just, I'd almost argue they're easier than, they are easier than cleaning a, a late season mallard. Cause there's most of the time, there's not a whole lot of fat on them. So you just, they peel real nice and you just assembly line them down the back, the trucks up and have the tailgates down and assembly line them. You're just resting them out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some guys like I'll do late season when I'm hunting on my own, I'll do, I'll take the legs of the honkers. Um, the big guys, uh, my wife likes to do those up and it's like slow cook them and you almost kind of pulled pork mm-hmm. style. Them. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I envy and I are not envy. I admire the guys that go the extra mile, take all the, take the legs, take the heart, take the liver, do all that. I just, I mean, when you get into 201, the last thing you want to do is be trying to cut legs off. And for the amount of meat you're going to get versus your time, um, yeah, it's put them in the bait pile out back for coyotes and start shooting coyotes over them. <laughs> you also, um, yeah, I, I, I've noticed that even snows here, they split pretty easily. Like there's a lot of times yeah. like you shoot something at like 30 yards high or whatever because, you know, most of the time they're dickheads. Yeah. So, but when they hit the ground, a lot of times they're split open then it, already. Yeah, they split, they split so easy. And I mean, you will get them when we get into later, later into April and early May, when they're kind of at the tree line up north, when 
when they're and they're packing on all their weight like you'll open them up and they are greasy they're there's some you'll they're like man these guys are fat i'd rather shoot them and eat a, a spring snow goose is some of my favorite eating only because they've had grain they've had grain and rice all the way down and all the way back up the guys that eat the spring ones mm-hmm. like that you know, the sous vide them, I guess. I mean, I turn them all into jerky, but the guys that put them on the barbecue with salt and pepper in the, in the fall, <laughs> full of bugs. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's no good. Yeah. You also did a crane hunt up there and you did it in an interesting way. You were laying out, right? Yeah. Now yeah. That, that was, uh, that's interesting. That was fun. That was, uh, yeah, we got, uh, that with, with Die Bomb, yeah, Asher, we were talking and was like, man, we need some crane content because we've got some, but we've never really done much of it. And we want to be able to highlight the effectiveness of the silhouettes with cranes. And then I knew where to go. I had the kind of the area circled on the map, talked to a couple of local guys in the area. Like, yeah, man, you got to come this time, try it here. It was some of the easiest spotting I've ever had in my life because I don't think I saw another truck on the road. Mm. And it was... I got Judy was on that hunt and so was Jordan and yet Matt Judy and I were just like what is happening right now with the setting up the decoys and we're like we knew where the roost was but when we're setting the decoys in the morning we're like is there one closer like <laughs> I'd say there was probably 20,000 birds on that roost and yeah having them come in it was just big thing was concealment using those using those decoys to help hide us and yeah it was Hunting cranes like that was eerily similar to late season honker hunting for me because it was just low and slow and we could do no wrong. There was, you know, you think about it, you've got a black camera out there recording, you've got guys taking pictures. I'm like, yeah, it was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I've, I've, the only way I've ever crane hunted was, you know, obviously in A-frames on the, on the fence line and done that whole thing. I've never had the balls to, to lay out, but you did and it worked and like they were close. And I think too, that if you're going to do it, the big thing that we did instead of, we had talked about going all close together mm-hmm. and kind of making it look like a pile versus split, spread the kickbacks out and put decoys between us. And we tried to just this minimal path, minimal footprint. And then obviously with the silhouettes or even full bodies, if you went to full bodies and used like some of the, the taller full bodies, you can still, you really cover yourself up because they're going to come in for the most part, they're coming in low. So you get that front profile. They don't even see you at all. How many people were out there on that hunt? That was just three. So that also, that, that, yeah, that, that helps. helps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of trying to do that with eight or 10. Yeah. Try doing that with and you know nine, 10 clients. They're paying, they want to see the birds. Right. They're popping their heads out. Right. It's, and I get it. They're paying for the experience. They're paying for the whole thing. It, yeah. It's a tricky one to try and do that with 10 guys. How tough is the crane hunting in Canada? Like down here, <laughs> there are days it works really good. And there's days that you ain't got a chance in hell. Those birds are really smart. They're they're a different bird, but they can be really dumb at the same time. What are they like up there? Are they just are they like the geese that have been they've six months and nobody jacking with them? They're easy. I I think they're pretty easy compared to what I've seen. Um, kind of with what what goes on in the states. I mean, I've never hunted them. I've never gone down. It would be something I'd like to do is go down to Texas and shoot some cranes. But from what I've seen, videos and stuff like that, it, yeah, they're. I don't want to use the word dumb because I don't, I don't think they're definitely less, they're less pressured for sure. And they also have kind of a different mindset. I think that that's part of it as well. Cause I don't want to use the term dumb because I don't believe at any point that a bird is necessarily dumb, but with 
up here, their, their mindset, their mindset is we've got to, we got to migrate. We're in a moving, we've got to feed and move. Whereas when they get to Texas, we're in a wintering grounds, we're here, we're going to, and it's just that different kind of priority. Same thing with the spring snows on the way back North. It's a different priority of we need to get North and you see them pushing and pushing and pushing that line. Whereas when they're in California or, you know, Louisiana or Arkansas, excuse me, just sitting there hanging out, it's just a different mindset. But I mean, I've seen videos in Canada where guys will have, you know, full body decoys, literally making it look like the full body's eating out of the A-frame and they'll land a, cr- a crane at 20 yards. So if you wanted to use the term dumb in that, for that crane, I definitely would say they're dumb. <laughs> Here when it's working, they'll land 10 yards in front of a de- of the blind. I mean, right. when it's on, if you're on the spot, the problem is you can't deviate from where they want to go. Like you can a goose. Not, yeah, like yeah. none. Like if you're 100 yards out, of the flight path that they've taken for that day. Sorry. Like, you know, we're right where they were yesterday. We're right in the flight line and the wind went from West to South and they're a hundred yards that way today. It's frustrating. I, it's I'd say in Canada, they're a little more forgiving. They'll come check things out. I'd say they're more forgiving. I mean, that, that hunt that we did, we did back two days back to back, literally could have set left the spread in the exact same Mm -hmm. spot. Um, and it was, they were spread out throughout that field, but we thought, okay, we're going to get, they're going to come up over the, over the hill off the roost. Boom. They're going to see the decoys as opposed to kind of going back the far end and giving them a chance to shortstop and two days in a row, same spot, same uh, exact same setup basic. So yeah, I'd say they're definitely more forgiving on that sense. And, and yeah, they're, uh, they're less pressured i mean like i said i didn't see anybody else else out on the road never mind a spread no never mind another trailer at the hotel that the, so. the, the dive bomb silhouettes have changed the amount of pressure we have in texas on cranes because guys can buy a good friend of mine just the other day he's got a ranch here close to the lodge and i've never seen a, a crane on their place but they flew over some and he called me the other day and he was wanting to buy three dozen silhouettes and they'll hunt maybe when they're deer hunting, if there's some cranes around, they'll set out some decoys. I don't know what their success will be, but they're going to hunt. But there's a lot more people since the sand hill, the silhouette sand hills have come out that try that because mm-hmm. of the dive bomb silhouettes. You know, guys aren't going to go in and buy Deception and pay $2,500 a dozen or whatever they are, but they don't mind paying $500 for three dozen of this crane silhouettes. So that that that's that has added the pressure for sure. Do you see cranes there in the winter? Will they like your big geese that'll stay there and the mallards that'll stay in Canada? You don't see any cranes once it gets cold. No, usually I'd say mid to late October they're gone. They're out of here. And then now if it's an unseasonably warm year, they'll stick a little longer. But generally speaking, I'd say mid to late October they're they're gone. And then Alberta's kind of funny with the crane hunting that there's a line that you can't hunt cranes north of because they're worried about the breed. The, your, what they're really concerned about is the whooping crane. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you can't distinguish between a sand hill and a whooping crane, yes. there's bigger problems. <laughs> you probably shouldn't have a firearm in your hand or a driver's license. But yeah, there's there's a line that they're worried about because they do breed. Uh, I think it's the Wood Buffalo National Park and stuff in northern Alberta that they breed in. And so they're, they're genuinely concerned that you, you're going to see whoopers mixed in with sand hills. I'm like, you're going to see whoopers mixed in with them, whether they're north or south. But anyways, yeah, it's. And I mean, and that's another thing that factors into it. The northern birds, you won't even see the cranes come south because they don't, again, they're not getting shot. There's no reason to push them out. As long as they have water and feed, why would they leave? 
Yeah. We uh we'll have some whoopers through here. I'm going I'm going to tell Andy's going to laugh at me right now. We have a north wind today, which I was surprised. I didn't know it was supposed to happen. Too. I'll bet you that we have some teal here now. It's I August. Gonna, I am going to laugh at you. You are. I, I'm going to tell you right now that in my Number area, one, there's not that much fucking water around here. No, so. no, but where there's water, you could go up north of here, 10 miles or 15 miles an hour. I bet you there's a flock of teal now there. Because it, it, it's, we'll it's, it's, it's mid-August all the time, and by this, we start having our first front. And when we get a front, we'll get some birds. And we'll the have first week of August. We'll have sand cra- we'll have sandhill cranes here in four weeks. Right around September first, yep. we have our first little you'll somebody else see some cranes hmm. when you get a north wind. Well, and they also they roost in shallow water, right? So I mean, you know, they're only roosting in six, eight inches of water, and that shit probably freezes up first. So it doesn't take much and they're out. Yeah. And this I think this year this year's gonna be a very interesting year. I mean Two weeks ago, we had wheat and barley fields harvested. Yeah, like when you drive around, like that's it's been dry. You got anyone that doesn't have irrigated water, and even some of them that are irrigated, they've got their there's crop off. We were in, uh, we did, we went up to a rodeo there on Saturday, uh, two days ago. Yeah, and it was, uh, I mean, there's hutterites are out combining. You've already got fields that are done, and I'm thinking like, man, what's this gonna? This is either gonna push them because there's not going to be as much crop on the ground between the deer picking at it and every other bird and everything picking at it and it's baking all for the next month. But I wouldn't be surprised if you guys had teal by, you know, here in the next, if you don't have them now, you should have them in the next little bit. Well, we won't have a big number of them. I just wouldn't be surprised if we have a flock of teal now with it, with it. As soon as we get our first front in August, we usually will have a, you'll still see a small group of teal here, there. Do the Hutterites hunt at all? (laughs) No. Well, maybe the odd kid does. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't go get a license or anything like that. And they'll, they will kill. They do like killing coyotes. Um, I've had a few colonies that are like, yeah, you can hunt. Do not shoot my coyotes. Okay. Do they eat them? No That's, uh, they, it's fur, but then the, the, they'll use it. They won't sell the fur because they're supposed to have a trapper's license and there's all the process that goes on with the fur trade stuff. But my understanding is, is that they like the, they like the coyotes for the fur and then they give it to the women to make, you know, blankets and things like that. They'll tan them, whatever the case may be. I watched, they used to have a series on TV called American Hutterites or something else. And they were a very interesting group of people and they have a lot of money. They are. Don't I, they? They do. I mean, you pull the resources together and, and, yeah, the, my, the gist of it, of the colonies and the way they work is is basically all their expenses are paid, and depending on the colony, they have strict or less strict rules about technology when it comes to in, access to information. Like some colonies, they don't even the, – the field boss has got a flip phone with no access to the internet, <laughs> and other ones are running around with iPhones. So it depends on the colony, and honest, from my understanding, it depends on the preacher because he's the, the head of the colony, so it depends on his stance and his viewpoint on it. Um, and then, yeah, all their expenses are paid. They get some allowance. They're not supposed to drink. Um, <laughs> but they all seem to really like to drink. <laughs> yeah. This show here, they were from professional drinkers. They had some, the young people were big time drinkers. And yeah. Most of them are and the field bosses love to drink. <laughs> they don't have a real big option on women. I noticed. No. And it's, it's kind of funny that they, uh, it's some of the well actually the one colony near me i was chatting with the guy and he was talking about his daughters to me and he's got like four or five daughters and one of them's in montana and one of them's in southern saskatchewan and others in northern alberta and northern like they're all spread all over the place and i i don't have the guts to ask them because i don't want them to rescind my hunting permission if i ask but i wanted to ask like 
you guys like have like your own version of like tinder or something within the hutterite community but it's all on paper and you just send it around <laughs> take a send a kodak picture over everywhere yeah. put it put it on, maybe put he was wanting yeah. to meet his daughters might have been there's rumors going around that guys in high school you know that was kind of the thing blonde hair blue eyes and they'd take you to dilute the pool a That's little what bit i'd always heard boy it wouldn't be hard to find a 16 yep. year old boy to volunteer for that job there was a, not to get too far off topic, but I recently saw a picture or a video of a eighth grade teacher that had sex with a student. She was a smoke show. Oh, don't that just amaze you? A smoke show. And I don't get it. It's like you can go anywhere and find almost any guy that would be willing to sleep with you. But for whatever reason, you're going to go to prison for 25 years because you needed to bang a 13 or 14 year old. Yeah, I don't get that. And I, a woman ain't going to have trouble getting laid. No, 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 and especially not her. Like, she was a smoke show in Florida, like outdoorsmen. There's pictures of her in a bikini uh, offshore fishing. She was hot. <laughs> and you know that eight, you know that eighth grade was like, I think his parents, like, read a message or something like that. It was, like, on Snapchat or something like that. He's mad at his parents oh, now. Oh, he was pissed. He peaked in eighth grade. He did, yeah. He's not going to do anything better. But she was, a, I was, oh, she's hot. That's happening right now in one of our local towns. Oh, I just she, saw it in the hot? news. Uh, hot for an eighth grader oh for a for a tit i don't know if it's eighth grade kid it was a high school student was sleeping with her i mean she was not a bad looking woman but like you said it's not like she can't go to she could go to the stockyards in fort worth and get laid every night if she wants to a guy don't have we all know that guys don't have the same options women have no i mean a woman it don't matter you know but they're ugly women get laid every night and it's interesting too because if it's a male doing that to an eighth grade year old female well, he's a pervert and a pedophile and all this other thing, but we just think she's freaky. You're just like, <laughs> go get it, kid. <laughs> that double standard it, that they're all trying to cut. It is, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing, but what would you do? You got two little boys. Let's say Reese is in eighth grade and he's banging his teacher. What are you gonna do? Um, well, obviously I don't want him banging in the eighth grade. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's a different conversation than if I had a daughter. Because if I had a daughter You'd want to kill him. Yeah, I would feel like he took a, took advantage of her naivety and her trust and all this other things, which is the exact same thing that the female teacher's doing to a, a male student. But I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't feel like he's as much a victim as I would if he were a female. Boy, when I was in eighth grade, I wish I'd have had that opportunity. I wouldn't have had to take so many damn long showers. Right. And they probably weren't even that long. But that's what, that's <laughs> damn sure what I would have been was doing. Just felt long. Yeah. It just felt like you were in there a long time. Jeff, you've taken five showers today. <laughs> I'm watching Skinamax, Mom. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, have you done the August North Dakota hunting? I haven't. I tried uh, last year, tried talking the guys in. We were there for game yeah. fair. And I was like, let's go in between the weekend. Like, I'll drive down. I'll bring the trailer, bring the decoys. We'll do game fair. Then we'll rip over to North Dakota. Um, it just seemed very hit or miss. Mm. And that kind of was the gist of like, it's just not worth the time and the money to, and, and you know, especially at that time with dive bomb and you're going hard, you're, you're starting, you know, all those guys, they're starting September. They've got all kinds of travel that goes right through till the end of spring snow goose season. And then on top of that, now with flop and the fishing, they've got all kinds of travel stuff. So I got it and I understand it. It's something that I've always wanted to do just to scratch the itch come August. Mm. Um, but the flip side of that for me with, with training dogs and stuff, I'm like, I'm writing the, you know, I'd like those last two weeks. I'd rather not put the dogs on those birds cause they're going to get 
hot and there's still a lot of stuff I'd like to continue working on. Cause our, our dog training season is significantly shorter than anybody else's when, you know, by the time I finish spring snow goose season with them, I'm early May and then I'm ready to, I gotta be ready to go by September. So yeah, I, it's something that's on my list, but honestly, I'll probably, you know, the money I'd spend to go do it, I would save the money and I'd rather come down to Texas or go up to Alaska. Alaska's pretty high on my list as well, places to go. So what do you want to do in Alaska? Harlequin. Harlequin? Yeah. Are you wanting to go out to, what's that? Is it St. Paul Island? What's that island out there by the, yeah. is that at St. Paul? Yeah, St. Yeah, I want to go, I want to go out there and, and, uh, that, I mean, an ideal world, you gotta get it. You get into the eider too, yeah. but yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to scratch all of it off in one trip to save me the money of having to go back a second time. But yeah, that would be a a great. I've hunted in Alaska before, but we hunted in interior of Alaska, and it was a great experience. And I'm glad I did it. I I don't know that if I want to do the St. Paul deal, it would be really really fun. But it seems like it's absolutely freaking miserable from everyone I've talked that's done it. And I'm just not that much into misery no more as I've gotten older. But what a, what a cool experience. I do want to shoot sea ducks. I do. I've always wanted to. I always think it would be neat. I've also always wanted to. Now, I say I've wanted to. I love the old Les Cuba paintings where it shows the canvas backs and the black skies and they're in the layout in the water. I thought, man, that would be so cool. But I really don't see my fat ass wanting to sit in a boat <laughs> when it's 27 degrees on one of the Great Lakes and the wind's whipping about 30 miles an hour. That kind of takes a lot of fun out of it. Yeah. But I did a North Dakota trip for a swan and it was a layout boat hunt for swans in North Dakota. <laughs> and then when we got the swan and then it was a di- it turned into a diver hunt. We also did some pheasant hunting as well. But yeah, I mean, I'm a bigger guy and I was, and I, I like the boat. I like getting in a boat, but a layout boat's <laughs> a whole other kettle of fish. Cause you're out there, you're in full gear cause you're trying to stay warm and you're just thinking to yourself, if there's a leak or this, you get a wave and I'm capsized. I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my fat ass is going to the bottom. You know, North Dakota reminds me of Venice, Louisiana in different ways. Venice, Louisiana, we just got back from, is a, the, a sanctuary of wildlife. There's not very many places in the United States like it because of all the growth and development. North Dakota reminds me that Montana's a lot like that, too. I mean, there's small areas in every state where you have really things are still the way that used to be. But, man, North Dakota, when you drive through the, on the state line, you cross in North Dakota, they should have a sign that says 1955 because it's like going back in time. Those little towns are all, you know, self-sufficient. And the game, the pheasants, the deer, you know, the antelope, just everything you see there. It's just an amazing place, and I, everybody should go to North Dakota and visit. Don't go there and hunt because the locals don't want you there no more because they're overrun with hunters. But that is a beautiful place, and I would assume the prairies of Canada are yeah, a lot like that. I was going to say, most of Canada is probably like yes. that. Yeah, it's very similar. Um, the small towns, I mean, my wife and I, we took our baby, and Paul is crazy, but we ended up, we went to... Um, New Richmond, Wisconsin for a dog thing here back in June. And on the way home, the trailer, we blew a leaf spring. And of course it was an inch too big that everybody had. So we had to get one manufactured. So we got stuck in a little town in in, called Buffalo, North Dakota. And yeah, it was just like staying in a small town, middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, middle of nowhere, Alberta, just really nice people down to earth people, very quiet, very safe. Like at no point did I ever feel that you know, you're sitting, you're parked in the middle of nowhere with a baby and a wife. And I'm like, you know, am I, am I worried that something's going to, someone's going to try and break in in the middle of the night and steal the generator or steal, you know, hurt the family or whatever. Right. And it was just, it's really nice. It's really, 
I like that of going through there, the history. I'm a big history guy and kind of you, you look at all the old buildings or a, a saying that I'll say when you drive by like rundown farms, man, I bet you that place has seen a lot of happy Christmases. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you just, yeah, it's one of those, they all look the same and that's what it seems like anyways. And it's, they all kind of have the same story to them. Someone, some settlers set up here to farm. Yep. What did, uh, you said Buffalo, North Dakota? Mm-hmm. Population one ninety five. Where's it at? It's on the east side of North Dakota. East outside. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, just outside Fargo. I think. When now, my experience in Canada was we went all the way to the North Pole, basically from Plentywood, Montana, straight north. We went to a little town called Carrot River, Tobin Lake areas where we were at, right on the boreal forest area. And mm-hmm. I was amazed when we drive through the countryside there, and you'd see wolves, and you'd see bears, and you'd see elk. You'd see mule deer, white-tailed deer, you see moose. You've seen everything. And I thought, man, what a cool place. This had to be like when the settlers crossed the prairies in the United States, you know, in the 1700s, 1800s. Had to be the same kind of way without any Indians shooting arrows into their ass. I mean, what a cool place. So do you see that every time when you're up there? Is that the kind of wildlife you see when you're scouting? Oh, yeah, all the time. The only thing missing out of your description is the buffalo. Um and you get further north, you can get into the buffalo as you get a bit further. But, yeah, I mean, everywhere – I mean, I'm – if you're driving around at night scouting on the truck, if you don't have a – at the very minimum, a bush bumper on the front of your truck, and it's always laugh. I'm like, it's not going to save the truck, but hopefully it allows me to limp the truck home. <laughs> <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of deer, especially mule deer uh, – um, I find mule deer are dumber than just about all the rest of them. They combined. are. Yeah, they're pretty stupid. Yeah. What, what about and, uh, moose? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think, uh, I think last, just this spring alone, I think I counted probably 20, 25 moose that I saw just scouting for, for spring snows. We had one come in our decoys or right to the edge of the decoys when we were hunting up there. We had some coon asses with us and I'll never forget this one coon ass kid's about 20 years old. He goes, I'm going to shoot that son of a bitch if it comes in here. Listen, no, you're not going to shoot shot. that. You're not going to shoot that thing first. Second of all, moose kill more people than fucking bears do. And I ain't getting my fat ass trampled on by damn moose because you're going to shoot that fucker. I hope it goes. And it, it, it did, but every time Andy would call and flag and wave, fucker would get a little closer. So if you're a moose hunter out there, you might want to try goose calling and flagging. It seems to pull them towards you. That would not be a pretty death. No. that I Yeah, I would not. Uh, I, I People don't realize just how dangerous they are. You see the tourists and stuff in going through Banff, and you see the videos all the time. They're on the... First of all, they're on a major interstate or major highway. They're running across the highway. And it's, there's, there was a few years ago, my wife and I were there and saw people running across the highway for three grizzly bears sitting. And all that was between them was a 10-foot chain link fence. I'm like, they're up against the fence taking pictures and the bears are like 10 feet off the fence. I'm like, you people have less than zero idea. And the sad part is, is that if they do, in fact, hurt or kill you, they're going to die because right. of it, your stupidity as well. Like, yeah, people don't realize, same with moose and deer, and you see it in the cities more than anything. It's, you don't realize one wrong move, they feel threatened, and he puts his head down, and you're old, it's over. Yeah, like buffalo, too. Yeah, people they buffalo whoop the their ass. All the time <laughs> in Yellowstone, you see it in there from you know oh, 10 yeah. feet away and taking pictures, and that's just because people are too insulated now. Like, they see these things on their computer yeah. screen, or, you know, they, they're too far removed from their ancestors being like, no those things that are sticking out of his heads are fucking spears and he knows where to put them. We, when we were in Yellowstone, I was not the good Buffalo guy because I am get excited over seeing a fucking Buffalo. 
It's not that big a deal. And these fucking people are lined up. Well, shit, I'm passing people, and I'm right on the buffalo's asses because I'm used to driving. You know, you bump a cow in the ass with a bumper, and you honk, and they get the fuck out of the way. Buffalo aren't that way. No, people were screaming at me. Why? Because it was You're... a fucking buffalo, and I was honking and fucking moving them. Oh, they I was wanted, to get the fuck out. I was trying to get down the road. Ah. Well, fuck, they could see them. There's a they wanted there's pictures. A photo fucking op. thousand of them around them. You know, people got their they pull up with their motor homes, and they get right. out and they get their lawn chairs out, and they're taking pictures of buffalo. I can take you right outside of town here, not very far, and I can do the same damn thing. Buffalo does not excite me. Now, a wild buffalo on the free range would be cool to see, but I don't want, I mean, I'm not going to stop and take pictures of them. Now, you get me a moose or a grizzly bear, but those people do the same thing. There'll be a bear in a meadow 100 yards away, and they're out in their car. Uh, you're food, you know? You're a ham sandwich to that fucking bear. You know, don't, don't be a dumbass. I've... People are really good at humanizing animals, right. and I, I find that they, as you said, they forget there's such a, re a removal from not only nature as itself, but our ancestors. And I mean, you, uh, there's a Instagram page I follow, Nature is Metal, and he posts all kinds of like crazy stuff about all these like just different horror stories of the, the wild. Most of it's African safari of like zebras with their guts dragging, and they're still moving. It's like, man, you think. A hunt like people get mad at hunters and they get upset that you're killing them it's like mother nature's killing them in a way worse way than i'm giving them a humane death i'm still gonna eat them it's sustenance for me like it's you know and it's fun it's enjoyable but you know we're also gonna eat it and you look at you look at how an animal they eat it from the ass up and it dies while it's getting chewed to death like nature yeah. is metal people I'm don't there realize now. what they don't a, know. a line holy shit this guy's snowmobiling and he comes across a moose and she almost took him out. Lions, uh, 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 the, the king of the lion dies a horrible death. Eventually, yeah. He, he dies of starvation and gets eaten by a bunch of fucking hyenas. And and, and, and that's just, yeah. that's the way, like you said, that's the way Mother Nature is. Do they do actual hunting in Yellowstone? Does a federal government, like, do they do they sell some uh, some tags every year to keep the herd, or do they just let the wolves fucking decimate everything? Uh, I'd expect that they probably, I mean, if anybody's going in there to do anything, I would expect similar to kind of what they do up here back door. They let the, the natives kind of go in and do their thing. I know they had my understanding was there was some stuff in Banff and Jasper that was real hush hush. And the natives got to go in and, and do a, they got to hunt them and, and shoot them, obviously bow and arrow only. I'm guessing Yellowstone, they probably See, wouldn't do something similar that, if, if it, they that wears to. me the fuck out. Just because your ancestors were not good at fighting, you shouldn't be able to have a free hunting pass at a place like that. And if you want to give them a bow and arrow, give them a fucking stick and a string and a fucking wooden, a homemade bow and arrow and let them have at it. But I don't, I, we give them casinos. I, I don't, I feel sorry for the way we done the Indian in a lot of places because we lied to them. We did. There's no doubt about it. But they, but they were fighting and killing each other and conquering each other thousand years before we ever came here doing the same thing that we did when we could, we were just better at it. And it's a shitty deal, but that's just the way it goes. And no other country in the world has to give shit back and do anything for what happened to people that, you know. If anybody owes the world an apology, it's the royal family. Because they took over all kinds of... 100%. You know, they, they, you know, fuck, they was the biggest rapers and pillagers in the world. But I, that just that wears me out that they should get a free pass for that. Like the gill netting. They'll go to these lakes and they'll let them gill net everything. Well, fuck, that's not, that's not right. No, and that's like I mean I've taken, you know, guiding working for other before long before dive bomb I worked for some outfitters and and one group we had a group of of 
like status native could shoot whatever they wanted. And I, you know, I, I confirmed called and talked to the fed and was like, what do I need to check for? What am I looking for? He sent me over some examples of the treaty cards and stuff. He's like, you want to confirm that they have these. And so anyways, we went over that and I asked like, what can they shoot? Like, could they, you know, if an owl came in, could they shoot it? He goes, they could, but I would advise not because there's a whole process that begins to happen on that. He said, the general rule of thumb is it ha- if it has an open season at some point, somewhere under the federal migratory bird act, then they're allowed to hunt it. So swan, cause you can't hunt swans in Canada. If they wanted to shoot a swan, they could cranes, whatever. And so I had, these guys were actually really good. And I asked them and I said, what do you guys want to shoot? And I said, we really want to shoot ducks. That's what we really want to shoot. And some snows. I said, would you shoot specs, cranes, swans? If they came in, he goes, I wanted my dog to retrieve a swan. And he's like, if a swan comes in, I'll shoot the swan for you. We'll eat it. Um, he said, I will not touch a sandhill crane. I have no interest in shooting them. I think they're disgusting and gross. And he said, specs, we'll shoot them, but we really want ducks. Okay. First group that comes in, big group of ducks, call the shot. It was mostly pintails. They shot all hands. I was like, oh, <laughs> I said, no, shoot the white ones. Sure enough. Then they start cleaning up the white ones, but <laughs> this just feels dirty. We have a, yeah. we have a friend of ours that went on a hunt. Was it guided that they went to? Or they, yeah. went to the, they went to a guided hunt. They could hunt at night even, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Like, there were no... It was a reservation. Like, baiting, whatever. Like, basically, they hunted over bait piles was kind of how they decided where they were going to hunt. Whichever place had the most bait and, like, you know, the, the shooting hours of 30 minutes before, like, that's all out the window. It's just yeah. when you can kind of see a little bit, like, that's when you start opening up on them. That that show that's on Discovery or One Natural History or something, the Life Below Zero, and they've got the people that are living in the Arctic Circle, and I, and there's a, a lady named Sue on there that takes care of a uh, airstrip in Kivik or somewhere. And one thing I can think is I don't think that lady takes a bath for six months. That's all I can think of when I watch that show. Is oof, gonna be some big time bo on that show, but that whole show is based on. Substance, uh, substance living is that what they call it subsistence. subsistence living they're driving they got a boat with a new mercury on it they're shooting a shotgun with no plugs in it they got all kinds of modern devices well you know i, I don't care if you hunt year-round to shoot ducks and geese but by god do it the old-fashioned way you know it's not like they ain't got an airplane that comes in and bl- delivers food to you that's not living the way your ancestors did 200 years ago there wasn't nobody dropping a food into an igloo back in the day but boy, it takes a hardy son bitch to live up there year round like they do. God almighty. It yeah, I, I have a friend actually that I was talking to him last night. He lives uh he's outside of Yellowknife and uh he I was talking to him and he had to he had to get uh get off the phone. He's like, There's a knock on the door and he's like, I gotta go get the door. He's like, I live in the middle of nowhere. I don't understand who's knocking on the door. He texts me later. The guy knocking on the door was running from a grizzly bear, was trying to get out of it. This grizzly bear was aggressive and chasing him and like kind of <laughs> territorial with him. And he said, so I let this guy in, this bear's around. He said, I had four more people show up at my house knocking on my door to let me know that there's an aggressive grizzly bear running around yeah. out here. <laughs> Did they shoot it? Like, man, no, no. Well, I mean, I'm sure a, a native could have shot it. He's white. So he got a chance. Could he shoot it? Um, even in a self-defense thing, I mean, he's got bear poppers and stuff like that, and he just keep the door locked. You, the best deterrent, honestly, from what I've understood from him up there, is a dog. Right. You just get like a Great Pyrenees or something, and the bears typically won't won't mess Can with. Can you it. imagine not a fucking bear chasing your ass and you knock on a door? I ain't knocking on a fucking door. I don't in. give a shit if that's Hell's Angels <laughs> headquarters. My fat ass is walking right through that fucking door. Are you gonna? 
Just waiting, <laughs> on, waiting on the thing. I ain't knocking. I'm going in that damn door. Yeah, it depends on if you can see where the bear yeah, is. If you if I'm scared enough that I have to go knock on someone's door because a bear's after me, I'm going in the house. Mm. I'd rather ask for forgiveness, buddy. I'm sorry. Listen, go back to doing what you and your wife are doing. There's a bear fixing to eat me outside. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here on the entryway. I'm what? not going to come any further. I'm good here. I can't imagine a bear chasing your ass down. God Almighty! They killed the world. I saw they killed one in Idaho the other day. That was uh, I said it was huge. I don't want to say how tall it was because I, I know I'm off. But I thought it was nine foot something. People don't realize how big they are till they see them. And I've seen, like, I've seen them in Banff. That's the only place I've ever seen them. And that's like, okay, yeah, you can tell the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear once you've seen a grizzly bear. It's the same thing with wolf and coyote. Everyone's like, oh, is this a wolf? Is this a wolf? You'll know it's a wolf if you've seen a wolf. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly There's right. There's no mistake in Do you them. see that bear that was in Idaho? Uh, I'm looking. They are, wolves are so big. Like, we saw them when we were in Canada, and they were just, like, galloping away. I mean, that's what I'm afraid of. They're all legs. That's what I'm afraid of. To hell with a grizzly bear. Like, if you get a wolf after you, because they're smart. So you'd rather have a wolf after you than a bear? I'd rather have a bear after me than a pack of wolves. A pack of wolves. Okay, you said a wolf. No, no, no. Like a pack of wolves, the way that they hunt, I think I'd I'd rather fight off one bear than six wolves. You could at least crawl up a tree on a wolf. No, they climb. Huh? Oh, they'll get you, Jeff. They jump. You're so full of shit. They jump. Uh, I, I think the one I the one I take both those over a mountain lion though. Yeah, because you wouldn't even know a mountain lion's got you until it's like it's got your neck. Those pictures, those mountain yeah, lions the, they kill that are two hundred plus pounds. Oh, and the crazy thing is, is that they can keep quiet the entire oh. time. Like the, you don't know a mountain lion's there unless it wants you to know it's there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I for a time before we live where we are now, I used to do a bunch of hunting, and and we lived close to the mountains. And I initially started like early season. I'd go do some bow hunting in the mountains. And I'm like, what am I doing? I got no defense here. Like, you know, because up here we can't carry pistol. I can't, especially most of that. There's no reason for me to have like a, a pack shotgun or anything like that. And even then, by the time I reach up to get the shotgun, if I see the mountain, I'm toast anyway. Yep. So I'm like, what am I like? I, those guys that go out elk hunting and especially the ones that connect and then you've got a gut pile and if you're way in the bush you're a two-day hike in and out like you're going back out into that with the gut pile close by like dude have you watched this change subject we go have you seen the movie the revenant yes Jeff just watched i that. watched that the other day for the first time ever and i wanted to see it when it come life? out i just never had an opportunity really to watch it and i watched that day man that's a freaking great movie mm-hmm. and it's based closely on some Pretty, Hugh Glass. Yeah, on some pretty close, you know, events that supposedly really took place if it did. But He was mauled by a bear. No, no, I know that, but I'm sure that there's a lot of things. But what a great movie, I'm telling you. I highly, highly recommend Most of it was filmed out here, too. Mm. Was it? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a good chunk of it was filmed uh, in between Banff and Jasper, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what blew me away about that movie, too, was like, of all the movies that you would give Leo an Oscar for, you gave it to the one that he had like least amount of lines out of all yeah, the rest. Right? Of the, like yes, he never. He, it was more like a lifetime one, but he didn't talk once he got his throat cut. Like he didn't talk for the my, rest of the movie. That was a great movie. My fate. My of all the movies he's been in, my favorite one is the one about the guy who uh, fraud checks. What was that called? Uh, Catch me if you can. Right. Yeah. Oh, catch me if you Have can. Have you seen yeah. that? Yeah, I like that one. 
Wolf of Wall Street's probably I've my never favorite seen of it. all of I his. I love The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, it's such a good movie. If you love The Revenant, The Wolf the, the Wolf of Wall Street was the one he should have won the Oscar yes, for. Yes, 100%. And I think, did The Wolf of Wall Street win anything just for like Best Director or something like that? I'd have to look it up, but I think it was at least nominated. It, probably like Best Picture, stuff like that. But he, Leo did not win, his, win the like Best Lead Actor or whatever the, the big one is for that. And that was a crime because that movie, I mean... Jeff, you were talking about attractive women. I mean, Margot Robbie. I don't know if they get. Oh, much she's better. a she's a freaking smoke show, and she's naked a lot. So that's a, that's an even yeah. There's there's plus. Yeah, it is a fantastic fantastic movie from acting to staring at Margot to every or Margie or whatever. I'm mean, probably butchering the name, but anyways, yeah, I, it is. I yeah. love that. Do yourself a favor next time and watch I've, that movie. It I've never fantastic. seen it, and I'll, I'll try. You got to watch the unedited version though, because I think it set a record for the most f bombs yes. in a movie past Scarface, if I'm not mistaken. So like, you got to catch it. You got to watch the unedited version, which might be hard to find unless you got like well, HBO my, or something my TV like that. times about three weeks is all that's left. Ah, then it's well, football season, and better, so if I'm watching something, I'm watching you football. Better, you better catch but it up. I do need to watch. But I did. I watched The Revenant. I saw it the other day, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna watch this. It's late. Nobody. It was ten o'clock at night. Michelle was going to bed, and I watched it. It was a damn good movie. And I'm not going to be that guy because I hate when people say this, but the, I've read the book, The Wolf of Wall Street, and it was really good. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. more stuff that is the it actual, based on a true story? Yeah, Jordan Belfort. Okay, he's just a con yep. man. Is that a wasp? Um, but the book. I'm not going to say it's better because I didn't see any titties in the book, but. Some of the stories and things that he actually did, and like sinking the yacht, he actually he hated hated the yacht and uh, was not sad to see it sink. But the book was really good. Well, thanks. You there, just ruined the whole fucking that movie. Is a wasp. For me. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Kill him. Kill Why him. are you pushing him to me? He's down here. He's on the ground. It ain't gonna I, hurt you. It's just I, a wasp. I got bad luck with wasp, Jeff. There he is, right now. Where? Right on me. Kill his fucking ass. Hold on, Ben. You'd think this fucking grizzly <laughs> on, bear ben. was in here. It's a damn wasp. Oh, we're screwed. <laughs> I think we found a pack of wolves or a wasp. It is a wasp. You you know, it's crazy. My swimming pool, I don't know if everybody else is having problems. My pool is infested with wasps this year. I mean, I'm telling you, one end of my pool has 10 to 20 wasps on it at all times. Get them off, they come right back. That was a close one, Jeff. And I don't know if it's because they're wanting water or what it is, but there's no way a wasp can drink that much fucking water. I want to know where he came from. I don't know, but he's dead now, so what's it matter? It's just he a wasp. Is. It won't hurt you. Bullshit. I just got stung a couple weeks ago. Are you alive? <laughs> it hurt like that. There hell. you go. It ain't that big a deal. It's a very big deal. I'm not going to get stung by a wasp. So, uh, is it harder to get into the United States or harder to get back into Canada when you come across? Uh, I guess the, that depends on the person you ask. I mean, being in a, being a Canadian citizen, although getting into Canada is a pain in the ass, and COVID made it like. The COVID years, I just try to forget because I did a lot of travel back and forth during that. And that was, there were still, there's still some real problems with air, especially air travel. Like I can't pre-check to get to, to come back to Canada for air travel. I have to go through and they have to verify passport. They have to verify information, which never used to be a thing pre-COVID. Um, at least it wasn't for me whenever I traveled. But I mean, I'll say going in. The only time my gun has ever been pulled out of a truck when I'm driving across the border is going into the United States. They stop me every time, check the serial number, make sure it matches. I've crossed back over into the States or back into Canada multiple times. And at no point 
Do they ask to see, because there's paperwork you got to fill out. They don't want to see that. What paperwork did I give to the States that has the serial number? Does that match the gun I'm bringing home? And it just makes me shake my head because like, it's like, how do you know one, how do you know I'm bringing the right thing back? All they ask for is my pal, my, like my possession and acquisition license. I'm like, especially on the times when I've been stopped and I've been held for an hour, hour and a half while they confirm if I can bring these snow pre flu, if I can bring these snow geese across the border or whatever. And, um, at no point did they even pull the the gun out to confirm serial, even to look to see what gun it is I'm bringing back. It just, I'd say getting into Canada is harder than getting into the States. It's just interesting that every time the States check the serial, I, I definitely did not expect that when I started traveling to the States with a gun. Because we, when we were coming back into the States, like they basically just gave us the green light. They didn't open trailers. They didn't look at guns. I don't think. No, we, we took all the grass off the blinds. Yeah. We were told like, you can't, if you grassed it in Canada, <laughs> you can't bring native grass back or whatever the hell. So like we, ungrass the blinds the night before and like they never even they were like what are you doing here how long you been here been waterfowl hunting they're like all right come in sign this and you're gone if you're a border protection agent or border patrol whatever the hell they're called now and you work in plentywood montana or anywhere on one of them little towns on the canadian border you have won your fucking world that's got to be the best freaking job oh, in yeah. brownsville texas or being plentywood montana i want that montana job any day yeah what are you yep. doing with dogs yeah, think, now? Are you are you have like a, a uh, your own so training I've, facility? Or are you doing your own dogs? Or are you doing clients' dogs also? So I've got four of my own. Um, oldest one will be eight this year. Youngest will be two. And um, I, you know, before I started with Dive Bomb, I did do some tra- like took in guys that call me. Hey, could you take the dog for the summer? And I, I dabbled and played with that. And then this year we t- we talked. My wife and I talked about it, but. It was a very short conversation. I now have a four-month-old at home, and she's like, yeah, that's not – you're no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I do a lot of training with my own dogs, and then I, I help guys. Guys will reach out, social media, kind of send me videos. Hey, what do you think? Can you help? Um, good friend of mine runs a retriever program, like an online training program, uh, Retriever Roadmap. Josh, and I, I help him out on his social media, kind of helping – like, you know, his his – I guess customers, I guess you call them. Um, it, but I'm just, I guess everybody has their thing in the waterfowl world. And my, like a lot of guys, it's, for, it's calling and stuff like that, or, you know, reloading for me, it's dogs. And it, to the point that, I mean, I've got four, three of which are, they're all females, three of which are spades. So that there's no breeding on any of them potentially on this little yellow one I've got. Um, she's, she's coming along really nice. So as long as the health test is clear, then we'll, we'll do something there. But, yeah, for me, it's just a absolute passion for dogs and training them and that kind of that obsession of I've had it with my oldest guiding where I've had clients that are like, man, that is a really nice dog. And it just that drives me and I just want to hear that again. So that's why yeah. I do it. Are you doing like hunt tests or, or what, are, what are you doing when you were in? Uh, where'd you say you went and you had your tra- trailer break with Wisconsin? Yeah, we went to Wisconsin. So actually Josh with his program had a an event where it was like all, all the members okay. could get together and he did a training weekend and he actually had his friend because um, he breeds, he does British labs and uh, he had a friend of his fly in from overseas. And so we had different perspectives and different training and it was just an opportunity for, to network, meet, put faces to names and, and get together doing that. And so I do, I have dabbled in the hunt test. I mean, I can, 
if you want, we can go down my opinion and my, my viewpoint on the hunt tests. And I'm, I'm kind of, I float and sit on the fence in the middle of it. I see value in them, but I also, I'm like, you know, I've watched dogs get master titles that I'm like, I would never put that dog in a hunting blind. So there's, there's two sides to all of it. But for me, yeah, the dog stuff is just, I guess I know what I want. I know what I want in the field. And I know that the only way to do that is putting in the work and getting there. And I'll play the hunt test game. It's just, it's expensive for what it is. And having three dogs that I'm not breeding. Right. It's bragging rights, I guess, but I'm like, I don't need the bragging rights. I don't have that big of an ego for that. So what do they do? They use the hunt test, the accolades from that uh, to like uh, improve the, the breeding stock for these dogs basically. Yeah. I mean, you have to have a standard test and I think you need to have something as a standardized because I mean, my version of a really good hunting dog would be different than yours. would be different than Jeff's would be different than anybody's. Right. So you have to have that standard and that level of, could you complete these basic mm-hmm. steps? And I think there's value in having that standardized test. But I also think that, you know, the way that the, the two different test formulas, cause I, I've kind of started to become a little bit obsessive with the British labs and how they train their, their dogs over there versus how we call them American labs and the American labs over here train. And I just find that the, like over here, we're throwing, and again, I get there's regulatory rules in place and cue bitching about the government, but you know, over there, they're shoot, they're doing live flyers, they're pushing, they're shooting live game. They shoot a bird. If it's a cripple, it doesn't matter. That's your bird. So no mark is ever the same. It's ever evolving. All the dogs are working together. You know, the, the, the three things I look for and try to strive for calm, quiet, under control. You see that on a regular basis on the British side of stuff so much as like a dog yawns over there. And sometimes when they yawn, they make a squeak. You're out. See you tomorrow. I'll try again. Whereas here you can have a dog whine on the line. And as long as they're not incessantly like howling and screaming, that dog's still free to go and run. It just, I guess a lot of it for me is what am I looking for and the different stuff that I'm looking for. And I think that the average, I'd say the majority of hunters are looking for a dog that's a family dog first. And I find that with the field trial and hunt test influence starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger on the dogs over here, you're getting Ferraris and you're handing them to 16 year old kids as their first vehicle and telling them to drive. And it's, it's just a lot of dog for, for a lot of guys. And like I said, my three black dogs with three black, black females I have, they're all American bread labs. And then the yellow ones are British and it's a preference thing for me, but I, I really like the bird. Are you- yeah, the hunt test stuff is. Yeah. I saw a kid at Squad Fest, and this this really irked me. So you know, you you have dogs there, and you know they're doing what dogs do. They're sniffing asses, and you know, licking, being a dog. Being a dog, and this kid grabbed his dog by its collar, and he almost choke slammed the fucking <clears throat> dog onto the pavement, onto the onto the hard ground, and he. I saw the whole thing happen. Like all the dogs were doing was introducing themselves. There was no growling. There was no biting. There was nothing. And this was a kind of like you said, 19, 20 year old kid. And just boom. Like, what the fuck are we doing? And then like, like, you know, it didn't stop the dog because the dog's hard headed and it wants to see what this other dog is doing. So right back at it. And he didn't do it again. Thank God, because like I was, if he was, if he would have gotten aggressive again, like there well, would. What are you gonna say? It's his dog. Don't be a fucking douchebag. You've jumped There's, on your dog's ass. You don't know the whole story. But I, I wouldn't choke slam it for just sniffing another dog's ass. You don't know that 
what all the story was. I'm I'm with you, but I'm being the devil's it. advocate the way you I did me all the time. I saw every bit of it. The guy was sitting there. He met somebody that he obviously knew because the guy came to talk to him and brought his dog. You'd have been embarrassed that 19 year old kid whooped your ass well, in front of everybody. There's there's lines. And he yeah. still might be getting his ass whooped in That's St. Fine. Louis right now. That's fine. Uh, it was right. It was right by the Pacific guys. So maybe Stefan would have pulled him off of me. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, like that's not accept that's not acceptable. That's, that's who I want taking up for me. I love Stephen no. to death, but I don't see him as a brawler. That's not acceptable. Maybe Shanahan would have taken you it, off of you. It's it's not. You know, and I get a kick. I get you know, I look at stuff like Squad Fest and I look at Game Fair coming up, and it's those are the absolute last place I would ever take a dog. I mean, the Squad Fest had the retriever challenge, so that's different. Bring your dog for the retriever challenge. Then take your dog home or back to the hotel and put it in the air conditioning. Because I ask everybody that talks about, you know, that they're talking about bringing their dog. Or I've had people ask about, because I've been to game fair, what's it like for the dog? What You know, do they have places shade, et cetera? I'm like, what are you trying to gain by bringing your dog to this right. event? What What do you think is going to improve or better in your dog and your relationship with your dog and their, their training? Because it's hot. It's overstimulating. There are tons of dogs everywhere. You walk around a corner, you don't know if that dog's friendly. Furthermore, you don't know if the dog's vaccinated. You don't know. There's there's too many things that can go sideways. You're focused on you're in the you know you're at the the Pacific booth or you're at the dive bomb booth or wherever. You're you're paying attention to the calls or the decoys. You're not paying attention to your dog. You're yanking this thing all over. You're trying to get it to heal. It's overstimulated, and you're just going backwards. And I'm, the, uh, you know, I'm. It's a shame that, that that kind of stuff happens, and I think guys try to show off their dogs at those right. events and those things like that, and it's control what you can control. I'm a big guy on that, and I mean, I'm sure you guys are too, the same with the outfit side of stuff. It's, you can control what you can control, and, and in that environment, there's so many uncontrollables with other dogs and other people that kids, everything, that it's just not worth the, it. The thing at the between the three, I mean, the three shows I went that I've went to in the last year – Game Fair, Squad Fest, and Delta, and Ducks Unlimited. I have been, yet been to one other than the Dive Bomb or Ducks Unlimited where they had a dog deal where you ran your dog through a, a, a trial or a, a test or whatever it was. But I had someone ask me about Squad Fest. Well, go, Game Fair you? had something, don't they? they yeah, they have they something, have too. Some sort of thing. And at Squad Fest, someone yeah. asked me the other day, I said, well, first thing I'd do is find something for my dog's feet because that concrete is going to be blistering hot. Come have a dog on that all the time. Game fair of all the things is the one that if you're going to take a dog to, to me would be the best. Cause, Cause it's the, all grass. It's all least. grass. It's outdoors. It's it's the temperatures don't seem to be as hot that time of year up there. That would be the one I would go to the first. If you just have to, to take, take a dog. dog, the Delta deal. I didn't understand yeah. why anybody brung a dog in fucking Delta. It's inside of a convention center. It's 105 outside. It's 72 inside. What? I mean, I don't, everybody's got a dog. Everybody's proud of their dog. They're, your dog is no different than anybody yep. else's dog. I don't understand that, why people think that, oh, that's Bo. He, he retrieved 247 ducks I shot last year. Okay, well, the guy down there has got one that retrieved 273. Guy's got one that retrieved 1,000. I mean, what does it matter? You know, but it's not a place for a dog. No. I mean, at the Delta, correct me if I'm wrong, I wasn't there this year, but I know Josh didn't take a dog like the Yukonuba guys. You got Josh and uh, Chris Aiken there, and I think they had a third guy as well. And I think the one the one guy was local. He brought his dogs for some demonstrative purposes, but Josh didn't show up with a dog, and I'm pretty sure Chris Aiken didn't have one of his dogs. Those guys have the best – like everybody thinks they have the best dog in the world, and so they should. But 
when you break it, those are going to be the best at some of the best dogs because they're trained every day. They're trained by professionals that know how to do all that. And if those guys aren't bringing their dogs, you know, to events where they're speaking about their dog and showing their dog, keep the dog at home. Yeah. I'm with you on that. If there's not an event, but it's the guy that's got the dog that goes with him everywhere. And then you want to walk him around outside at squad fest when it's 105 degrees. That dog's been in an air conditioner all day watching Scooby-Doo. It's not doing him any good to be freaking at it. At a, it's hot. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You said something, Mingo, that caught my attention. Did you say, are y'all not allowed to shoot live flyers for dogs training in Canada? You can shoot them like training wise, but in the hunt tests, they won't do them. No shit. What do they do? Birds. Bumpers. So like outfitters and stuff. Like I, I have connections with a bunch of different retriever training or uh, retriever clubs. And the retriever clubs can get permits to hold, you know, two, four, six, eight hundred birds. So I think next week the Saskatoon club's hosting the our equivalent on the AKC, our CKC, the the Master National uh, for Canada. And so they they have a permit to hold, call it eight, nine, a thousand birds. They knew they were going to have it, so they get extra for this year. And so the outfitters just give them their ducks. So they're using actual wild ducks. So like in America, where we can shoot flyers. And you got a guy like Fred Rohr and them and Jonathan Huss. They go to all the field trials and they deliver. Like they'll go to the nationals. They'll supply them with a thousand mallards or whatever it is. Y'all could y'all don't do that. Y'all aren't shooting live birds then. No, we use wingers and we'll throw a dead like a a brown duck or whatever that an outfitter client shot last fall. They'll throw it with a winger or they'll have a bird boy throw it, and that's what they're picking. My up. dad. And so that's where I start to get turned off of the hunt tests because you get you know, you're on day three of a hunt test and that bird was pulled on a Thursday. It's now Monday mm. and he's gross mm. and maggoty. And it's like, man, yeah. Is that just in Canada or do they do that in, in America too at the hunt test? No, America, they shoot live birds still. Well, oh, they do. Yeah. They shoot pheasants. And some of them, they'll still throw. Yeah. Pheasants and depends on the test. And, yeah. Cause you were a dickhead to somebody yeah. and you missed. No, there was a guy. I grew up around the you field trial world missed. and a lot of the big time trainers in Texas, I was around growing up a lot. And so we would work the field trials and, um, there was a guy and I'm not going to say his name cause he's probably still alive, but he was a trainer and he, he worked for a guy that it's like everything else. There's a lot of drama in camps in these, in, and I'm sure it's the same way. Little clicks, you know, mm-hmm. and these guys all get together and mm-hmm. they don't like what so-and-so. Well, a guy worked for a friend of ours, a good friend of ours. It was a big time pro trainer and he left on his own to start his own deal. Well, all the old timers, my dad, then they were mad at this guy. Well, he had some nice dogs, and he he st- he took a couple of clients with him. So, anyways, I no birded him like five things throws in a row, in a in a open, and I did it on purpose because you're an asshole. Well, yeah, but I, twice I threw the bird back towards the people, then another <laughs> one I threw over here. I mean, I was a I was a dick to him, but how old were you? Oh, I was probably fifteen or sixteen years old. But I showed them. They all liked me. One guy gave me a hundred dollar bill for doing it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but I <laughs> guy's livelihoods on the line trying to make a name for he himself. Me, and you got some fifteen year old jackass, no burden. He goes, Jeff, you no burden. I said, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I said, How many times do I have to do it? Two times. Oh. Said, okay. So I did it five. It's like, why well, did I get two hundred or three hundred down? <laughs> but but it, it was a, it was a wrong thing for me to do. But yeah, you could do birds. My dad trained with pigeons all the time. That was a normal process. Me trained with pigeons all the time. But when you'd go to the like the any any field trial, they had a live flyer, whether it was a mallard or it was a pheasant. And then in the field trial, or not the field trial, but the hunting the hunting test. And I haven't been to hunting test in twenty years, so I have no shit. It's been thirty years probably, maybe forty. But anyways, back then they used to blow a duck call and then throw the bird. 
on the hunting test where in the field trial they didn't do it field trial dogs are an amazing animal there's not a smarter dog in the world than an all-aged open field trial dog what they can do is it's it's beyond it's just amazing and i've hunted with national field champions and i hunted with field champions i'm not talking about a title dog i'm talking about a national champion one of, there's only one a year, and I've been fortunate enough to hunt with a couple of them as a, as a kid growing up at different times. But those dogs were not always great hunting dogs. They were field trial dogs. You, you often hear, and I, I, I hear guys say all the time in the training side of stuff, as they as the hunting season comes to an end, you get into spring and start training up here, and I was like, yeah, hunting season derailed, derailed all my training. And that's furthers where I'm like, if the main activity, you know, the hunt test versus field trials, like you're kind of getting into be the equivalent of like, I don't want to say football to rugby because it's a guess, but um, when you start getting into the the field trial stuff, like the stuff those dogs can do, I mean, they're so regimented, regimented and routine in what they're doing and it's control controlled it's 800 yards we know that bird's out there we know we know where everything is and we can you take them into a hunting situation and you get a group of 100 ducks come into a field you get a bunch of guns going off and a whole bunch of birds fall. it's complete chaos and it's it's a little bit different for them um but yeah like the hunt test stuff and my understanding with the hunt test both ckc and akc on the hunt test only is that the reason they don't use on the live flyers, you could get away with shooting pheasants and stuff like that. They don't do it up here. I think mainly because a lot of people in the hunt tests up here don't actually hunt. Um, you get a whole bunch of people that they just want something, an activity to do with their dog. So they don't have enough volunteers as it is to just handle and throw the birds. Never mind actually someone that can shoot a gun consistently and actually shoot that target. And then you get into the issue of now people, well, that's unfair. That bird was crippled or that bird fell an extra 40 yards and, it's like, you know, that it's not the same. It's not a standardized exact test. So I think that's partly why they got away from the live flyers. And being that you could shoot farm ducks, I guess, but being that a, a mallard is a federally protected bird, you'd only be able to shoot them in season and hunters aren't going to run tests in season. I have, there, there's been more often than not, whenever a client comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to bring my dog and he's got X, Y, and Z accolades. I've seen a lot of turds. To where it's just like, how, how is this dog? Like you're walking this dog up to 10 yards from the bird controlled environment, but it's just mm-hmm. like, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I've got a good dog. He's not a great dog, but he's good for what I do. Um, he's, he is, he is noisy. He's, he's excitable, but I don't have to leave the blind. Like if that bird's out there, he's going to come back with it. Now he's, he's not always fun on a lot of in-between times, but as far as like going and getting whatever bird, however far away and coming back, no issue at all. The, um, but there's so many times guys have to get out of the blind and then they're in the kill hole and they're blowing the whistle. And it's just like, this is a fucking nightmare. It is, it is a, it is a gadwall. We can wait, like just fucking come back and let's, we'll do this in a minute. We had a guy in Oklahoma about five years ago, hung with us. And we were shooting field ducks in Milo. And we didn't, I mean, we had one of them afternoon duck hunts where we shot 80 or 90 mallards. I mean, it was a great, great afternoon duck shoot field hunt. And this guy, when the hunt was over, after shooting 80 or 90 birds, the guy goes, well, I thought it had been a lot better than that. 
Well, it would have been if you didn't have to get out of there with your dog and have to get in the blind and walk your dog out to go pick birds up. I mean, I'd be like, don't, don't fucking get the birds yet. Let's we, we we're, we're 50 birds away from having a limit anyways, probably, you know, we'd go gather up the birds, but he could not send his dog the whole time. His dog could have been retrieving, but it couldn't do it because he'd have to get out of the blind, walk, set him, line him up, then walk him halfway to the bird. And it was just yep. a fuck. It, and me watching, yep. it wears me the out in the truck because I'm wanting us to shoot a limit of birds and let's get out. Cause we can use this field again, probably in two days. Let's get in and out real quick. Let these ducks, we get in, pick up our shit real quick. It's early. These birds will still get in here and feed for 30, 45 minutes after dark. Let them feed and be, and they'll be comfortable. And they'll know nothing. They won't even know anything got shot in here. But oh, what do we got? We got that fucking guy running around with this fucking dog that won't listen. Oh, some bitch has got a title on him. Well, it's not a hunting dog, it's a good title dog. The amazing thing with the, the, with the open dogs is, is when they do water blinds, you know, they send them down a canal. Well, it's quicker for a dog to get up on the bank and run down and get the bird and come back. But they judge you on that. And it's just crazy how well trained those dogs are. But if I'm hunting, I want the dog to go get. I'd rather a dog go run around the bank of a pond, get a duck on the other side, and run back and be back in the blind in 30 seconds than to spend three minutes in the water. Yeah. And it, so, and for me, and that's the delicate line that I play because September, October, I'll agree with you on that. November, December, when I got ice right. and that water's open, I don't want them run the bank, come in on the ice and break halfway in. And now I watch my dog sink. I want them to take that line and stay wet. So there's, but. The big, the big thing that I find with, with the hunt test is exactly like you said, that you get all these guys and they come in and it's always the guys that brag. Oh, my dog's got a master title. My dog's got this. My dog's got this. a grandmaster champion. And it's like, okay, like just let's pump the brakes. Let me throw a thousand snow geese with an e-collar and a bunch of decoys in the field. And let me see how, how well that dog can handle that. I'm, it's impressive what you can do. I'm not discriminating. I'm not putting down on the hunt test. I think there's value in it. What I think is that too many people put too much value in what that title means. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys, especially when they look for pops, they're looking for pedigrees. You see that all the time. Most most breeders are advertising the pedigree. My dog has this title. My dog has that title. And it's the first of all, the buyer's buying it going, well, dad has a grandmaster and mom has this. That means the puppy's going to be at that level. Well, right. No, look at parents. Look at look at how successful, you know. Bill Gates or any of these, what are their kids going to do? Donald Trump, what is his kids? You know, what does that look like? And you can't project that. And I think a lot of people get wrapped into that. And then you see frustrations come out when this dog's supposed to be sitting still at squad fest and the guy slams it on the ground or whatever the case is. And, and you're giving a 20 year old the keys to something that he has no business touching. And I think it's just, I would like to see a shift in the culture of, I mean, I'd like to see the testing change a little bit. And I, I, in my head, have a few ideas, but nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna listen to me. It is what it is. But I just, I think that there's room for improvement. And I look at the other dog training industries. I look at bite work dogs. I look at all, the, and they're ever evolving. And it seems like the waterfowl guys just stick their feet in the sand. And we're not changing. It's always like this. Okay. You well, know what would? What are some of those ideas that you have? As far as changing. for me, yeah. I I would love to see. So the first one that I hate, first and foremost, given because the majority of the guys over here own American dogs and the American dogs whine, scream for the most part. There's whining, there's barking, there's there's that behavior. They they just they have they're vocalizing, and you can, we can talk breeding and it. You know, guys say it stems from particular dogs, but I would love to see get rid of the holding blinds that they have. They put the dog in the holding blind. You wait your turn to come up the line, and then you go. No. 
put all the dogs up in a line and they all honor all every single one of them has to sit, you know, and you're, we're talking 50 yards back and you're on a lead, but you're if the dog pulls and that lead goes taut, that's a fail. However you want to look at like, or you'd get docked points, have the dogs honor, have the dogs all Cause that would encourage calm, quiet, under control in the training of these dogs. I also think that there's a lot of this challenge the line when you run a blind. And I understand, again, you want to run that tight line. But for me in a hunting situation, let's take a field, for example, you shoot a goose, it sails, it's a cripple, it lands 120 yards. You've got a crosswind. If you can line that dog up just a hair bit off and it still runs that straight line and it's got to step over 10 yards or five yards to pick that bird up, that was faster. That was more efficient on than having to whistle sit this dog and, you know, you sit there and he's casting it all the way back. And, um, the most important asset, the number one thing you're buying when you buy a dog outside of, you know, a companion and a brain is the nose. That's the best asset that mm. dog has. Let's utilize that. Let's utilize the ability to hunt up. Let's utilize and, and focus on that. I mean, I, I teach my guys a hunt whistle. So how many times in your instance, you're, you know, you're guiding clients, shoot birds and oh, there's a bird over here. Well, where is it? I think it's near that rock. No, it's near that right. tree. I'm going to put the dog in the area and then I give them a, a sorry for the listeners if that was a little loud, but give, and that just signals the dog, put your, I don't know where it is. Right. Your nose. Oh, I've never heard that with the, with the whistle. That makes a lot of sense. They, uh, I was, I got to go to the first hunt test. I was at, in Kansas at the very first one. I ran a dog in it actually, but I remember the lead up to the first hunt test and it probably would be around 1984, 85 probably was the first hunt test maybe. But back then it was the big deal is the people were splintering off of the field trials because let's face it, majority of dogs are not field trial dogs. They're not all age. They, they could run a derby, but they couldn't run a, they couldn't qualify to get to an open. Just wasn't going to happen. Well, we come up with this, this hunt test and now they've just pushed it further and further with stuff, and now people want to splinter off of it to do something completely different, which I think in hunt test, and that's right. instead of just yeah. pass-fail, I think they ought to have places in hunt test. I really do. I, I think they should – I think the, that's what they should go to. I think the, the, initially, from my understanding, like they went, the hunt test went that way because in the field trials there was places and they wanted guys to feel, one, that the average Joe could compete with the pros. Right. But you look at these hunt tests now and you get one, one dog trainer and he's bringing 10, 15, and I, that's his livelihood. I'm not knocking the dog trainer that's doing that, but you're still going up against pros. And so that's why they keep it as a, as a pass-fail. I would just like to see more focus on the calm, quiet, under-control dogs because that's like – I heard a saying once that 90% of retriever problems are an obedience problem. And I find that guys blow through that. And a lot of it, the dog's just, the dog's just not there. I have one, Nala, my youngest black dog is the definition of a nutcase. She is incredible. She has the potential to be an absolutely amazing dog, but she's her biggest problem because she's in her head. She's absolutely jacked up, vibrating, psychotic. And she can't do the little things right. She can do the big things fantastic, but she I lose her on the line. I lose her when we're shooting birds because she can't sit still. And it's, you know, the other side of this, and, and I think has played a role and has created some of the problems we see in dogs is the development of electronic callers. And while there's professionals use them right, again, you're talking about the 20-year-old at Squad Fest, you give, the, you give an e-caller to that guy, 
he's not going to use it in the right way that it was intended to. And while we have all these programs that teach guys how to do it, it comes down to the mental space of, of each of us. And we, I'm sure we can all admit at some point we've been frustrated with our dog and, and, you know, I heard somebody talk about you taking, uh, it, with your dog, there's deposits and, and withdrawals with the trust bank and you do a withdrawal from the trust bank. You might get mad at them, grab them by the scruff, yell at them, whatever. You do that with an e-call. They don't know where it's coming from. You start to create, and I, I see it. Like I can, I, I've started to get better at noticing it, but you can tell pretty quick which guys force fetch a dog versus don't force fetch a dog. Cause you can just see it in the confidence in the dog and they come to the line, tails tucked, ears down. There's a lack of confidence. They've been pressured, forced to pile all that stuff. And that's where I differ with a lot of them in kind of my training. This little yellow one I've got, don't use an e-collar. In fact, she's only ever had a leash when she's needed to for bylaws. And it's just, but it takes way longer. So I understand why pros won't do that either. Um, but yeah, I just, I'd like to see just an overall shift and a focus. I mean, you turn around tomorrow, if the federal government said, oh, e-collars are, are um, you know, inhumane and we're going to ban them like they have in Europe, you'd see a lot of people not know how to train yeah. a dog. I, uh, I've got my mindset with the e-collar is minimum amount of force necessary to get the reaction that I want. So you know, most of the time, 90% of the time when I'm using my e-collar, it's got a, it's got an audible beep that you can hit. It's the side button and it'll make a beep. And that's just what I use. And a lot of times that's just, if, yeah. if the wind is shifted and he's not hearing my whistle or whatever, I can beep him and he knows, Oh, I got a, I got a course correct, or I need to turn around and, and kind of see what's going on. But most of the time, like, it's just, if there's anything, it's just a little nick if for some reason that the, the beep doesn't work. But, like, most of the time, 90% of the time, it's just a beep, and then we're right back on where we need to go. But, yeah, so many guys, they get frustrated really quick. They crank it up to seven, and then they just press that button down, that the continuous, and then they fry their dog. And, I mean, it's just I've all and Ron, that was that was one thing that Ron taught taught me was just minimum amount of force necessary to get through to get the outcome that you want. And that's that's like why, yep. you know, that's how my mindset is with taking dogs to hunting shows. It's what positive are we going to get out of this? Is it, is it net positive yep. or I, I is think, it net negative? Like, that's what you got away. Yep. Exactly. And I, I that that's a big thing for me. And I mean. I also look at, you know, I just had one this morning before we, uh, before we jumped on that I had responded to and, and a guy's having issues with a three and a half year old dog that's retrieved. He's hunted. He had a baby. He's taking time off from training the dog. He's getting back into training dog sluggish dogs, not having fun running T pattern. He's been running it a bunch. I'm like, okay, back up. You've taken a break, but you look at all the comments and most of them stemmed. has the dog been force fetched? Go revisit force fetch. I'm like force fetch. The way that I look at force fetch is if I need to force fetch a dog, why are we breeding that dog? Because if I have to force fetch a dog to force it to do what it was supposed to be bred to do and do it in a controlled and managed way in terms of retrieving, and I don't care, I'm sure you guys will give me flack. I'm probably going to get flack when this goes out of force fetch is about turning pressure off and turning pressure on. I can do that in a hundred different ways without involving the mouth and picking up a bird. Force fetch at its core is getting a dog to pick up a bird consistently. Mm -hmm. It's why trainers do it because it's a, it's a guarantee when they hand that dog back to the client, that the, the, the customer or the client, the owner of the dog who doesn't know how to train the dog or doesn't know or spend the time with, it's a guarantee that that dog will do. But if we're breeding dogs that require that, then we, we're breeding the wrong dogs because 
like I look at this little yellow one I've had. All puppies, you see it, they all have a natural ability to, to pick stuff up the labs. It's typically most of them. They want to pick stuff up if they're well-bred. And so for me, it's shifting this focus of instead of going down a six months, we're going to force fetch. No, as a puppy, we're going to foster that behavior. You know, with the traditional rule, you see guys, the dog picks up a shoe, puppy picks up a shoe, chews on it. You give the dog shit for picking up the shoe. Mm-hmm. Well, no, what, I, I, a thing I saw a while ago, a guy was talking about, because I'm going to teach you how to, uh, how to stop a dog from chewing shoes, your puppy from chewing shoes and he's with a baseball bat. And he said, what I want you to do when the dog chews, chews the shoes, I want you to take the baseball bat, swing it, hit yourself on the head. When you wake up, put your shoes away <laughs> and don't let the dog chew on your shoes. Right. And for me, it was with her. If she picked something up, she wasn't supposed to have as a puppy. Encourage that behavior, foster it in a, you know, reward what you want and not necessarily get in the discipline side. And a lot of that is, I mean, I start getting into the psychology of it. That's my wife's side of it. But I just, I would love to see a shift and a focus because the majority of guys have no idea how to, how to correct time, like do timely corrections. They have no idea how to, um, how to control the, the dogs that they're getting. And a lot of it just, they're bred off of these master hunters that are hot. They have to be high strong. They have to be high drive because they're coming off field trial lines. And it just, it confounds the problem and it's i think you're seeing a shift you're starting to see more british imports into into the united states you're starting to see you know we go back to we were talking about the humanizing animals but you're starting to see people be a little bit more softer with their animals and shift away from it a little bit um and i think there's just there's other ways to do it and if the argument is that well you know you'll never get a master master hunter training a dog that way then your program needs to change. If your program, if the way to win a title is I've got to force fetch my dog, I've got to put extreme pressure on them and use an electronic collar, you, then your your testing needs to change and adapt. Um, if that's the only way to get there, that in my opinion. But interesting, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, how do you do the uh, the hunt the uh, hunt them up? Just same way you would like whistle train, like sit, just get them there and put them in a situation where, you know, you're not uh necessarily pointing it out and just hunt them up and then just blow your whistle in that manner so i got the the i wasn't the one who kind of taught this i got it off of josh miller but he the way that we i do it is i'll take uh three tennis balls put them out start at like you know like a soccer field put the three tennis balls out there bring the dog out and and they're spread out you're inside of like a 20 yard radius and they probably will see the tennis balls right away and that's okay and then um, what I start doing is uh, I actually don't use the whistle at first. I, I'll use my hand and I kind of do like a circle motion. Um, and then I'll say right there, right there, right there. And you'll see the dog kind of get confused. I might walk into the dog to make a move a little bit. Um, and once they pick up the tennis ball, good dog, bring them in, put the tennis ball in my pocket right there, sit them down and then right there, get them moving. And they learn that, Put your nose down and find it. I don't know where it is. I'm not helping you. You need to find it. And then slowly, you know, I'm standing inside of 10 yards of the dog type thing. And then I'll slowly do distance. And then you just overlay the whistle. But the reason I do the right there is because it sounds very similar to that. Right, right, That makes And, yeah, just start in short grass and get build on that and get more complicated as the time comes. Yeah. That is one thing. Like, we never taught my dog, like, hunt him up. But over time and over practice, it's just kind of like you're on your own kid. And, but like that also has some side effects too, because I'll be the first to admit, I don't train my, like 
we're going to start working. We'll start doing some shit during. It's too hot, number one. And I mean, it's yeah. hot at sunrise. So like, we'll kind of start revisiting some stuff in September. But let's like, be honest. We mean October unless you dove hunt. Yeah, yeah, probably October. But I mean, he's 11 and like he's pretty well or he's 10. And I mean, yeah. he's he's got it. He's now. not going to be no more excited to go train in September than no, you no, are. No, 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 he hates it. But, um, like, he also recognizes, like, if we have a big rain out and there's 10 birds out there, like, I send them, but, like, I don't give a shit what bird he picks up. Just bring me back 10 birds. Yeah. I don't, like, if, you, if you're if you running here and you smell this one and stop to get this one, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall. Now, if there's a cripple and I want you to get that, then that's a different story. But, like, if they're just laying there, just go get them. I don't give a shit in what order you do it. So he's got a little bit of cowboy to where, like, if I just let him go, he's kind of, he'll look. Instead of running a straight line, he's like, all right, what am I, what am I getting? And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that would not translate well into some of these tests that you see. But that's just, it, it's an effective I hunting dog. Yeah. I mean, I don't, there's 10 yeah. birds out there. Pick one, bring it back, and then go get another one. And that's like, I mean, Daisy, Daisy's kind of my, like, I call her the ace on the team and she's the same way. Like, I'm just, if it's a group of snows and they all are stone dead in the hole, Daisy, go get one, come back, Daisy, go get one, come back. Like, but to your point, and this is what I spend a lot of time, especially in August, as we get closer to season running into and, and training is I'll throw them, I'll have a blind set somewhere. I'll throw a mark. I'll know them off the mark and I'll go run that blind. And the, the, the idea is, is how often in a hunting situation are we going to run into that where we shoot a couple of birds that are stone dead in the hole, but we've got a, we got a sailor that just, he's running and yep. we need to, if we don't get on them now, no, unless I got a truck close by, you're not going to get them. So, and that's where I want the line. That's where I want you to take that straight line. Cause you're just put your head down. So for me, you know, I do run them through a T pattern. I run them through handling and all that, but our fields up here are, I mean, I can watch a dog run away for three weeks. Yeah. It's flat and it's, wide open so run that run that three four hundred in a straight line and i just i pound that into them as much as i can through repetitions and just building confidence in different environments yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun it's really rewarding whenever you've gone through the whole thing and and then you see it starting to pay off in the field and like you said when it when when a dog is bringing a bird back that everybody had kind of like written off as like well we'll never see that thing again and then it triumphantly returns like there's no greater feeling in the world it really isn't. And yeah. that's where I'm at as a guide because very rarely will I shoot. I'll shoot some, but like I get I get my kicks off by just that bird that everybody's like, well, he's gone or he's right next to the road. And you're like, well, we'll get him. Because it's like, you know, West Texas, yeah. it's kind of like Canada. It's flat and I can see him run away forever. So it's as long as we've got a fairly good mark, <laughs> the odds are okay that, and I mean, unless he's just way out there and finds a cotton field or something, odds are pretty good that we're going to get him. So... I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah, I agree. Well, listen, bud, we've gone almost two hours here. So this has been a lot of fun. When uh, w the Pacific, the I Pacific agree. guys are coming up, what, third week of September? Fourth, Fourth week. week. How'd Fourth all week. that come about? Just they needed a place to go and you're like, hey, come up here? Uh, I mean, I, we, I think I've always had a bit of a relationship with them. And then we actually went to the Sacramento show back in January uh in in california and alex and those guys were all there and it just the relationship just kind of we spent i don't know the four days we went out for dinner every night together our booths were real close and just the relationship really kind of fostered and, and grew and then i've always stayed in touch with them uh 
kind of switched over to for me the biggest thing was actually at squad fest the year before i bought a spec call off of them and i've been hyping their spec call for a long time because i found it was really user-friendly very easy to use having gone through all the others big names out there and uh and then i got a duck call from them that i really liked and now it's they've got the honker call coming here shortly that i'm pretty pretty damn excited about and uh yeah it's just kind of fostered a relationship and and I really enjoy those guys. I've had a lot of fun with them. And then I was talking to Trevor and they usually come up to Alberta and do some stuff on their own. And they're like, Hey, would you be interested in having Zach come up with us and do some filming and help you out with the outfit? Yeah, absolutely. By all means. And, uh, yeah, I think for me, my biggest thing, and I've always tried to pride myself on this from the moment I started with uh, just relationships and building relationships with guys. And that was, yeah, having a, having a meaningful relationship and, just helping them out. So. What spec call did you get? The BBS or the 530, I think? The, the BBS. The BBS. I've, and then I had Alex do me up a brown and brown on orange um, one that I, I quite like. Just I wanted the coloring. And uh, yeah, I love that call. Yeah. I've uh, I've got one sitting here. I've got to I've got to play with it more. I've I learned on the 530. So I think it's a little bit stiffer mm-hmm. than the BBS. So like I put too much air through the BBS, but I don't know. It's been sitting here, and I need to I need to play around with it a little bit more. What duck call did you get from them? Uh, I got a the no, no name. name. Those were selling. Those were those were very yeah. popular at Squad Fest. I don't know how they were at Delta, but I'm a PCD guy. I like the I, way it feels. I I need to get me one of those Wonder Bread. Yeah, yeah. Those were those were selling pretty quick too. Everybody likes the one. Any yeah. of those weird things yeah. people gravitate to. Like who would have thought putting Wonder Bread I, uh, on a duck call and everybody's gonna want it? Everybody likes Wonder Bread, yeah. don't you? I like Wonder Bread, there but I don't go. want it on my fucking duck call. I think Chance Bass started that with his gun. With his gun, I think so. Somebody put corn. I saw the corn uh, on the gun. The guys did the the dip on their Beretta or whatever oh, Benelli, yeah. and they put the there's like a corn print like. <laughs> People are crazy. Like, man. People have way too much money. Yeah, you guys are getting. People crazy. have way too much. I, don't, I still don't know how pe- how early twenty year old kids can go spend the amount of money that they spend on waterfowl hunting. They don't have wives. And I know they don't you've have tried kids. to explain this to me, Jeff, but and probably most of them live at home. Yeah, I guess. But there's a. But do you know what? I'll tell you how. <laughs> yeah. If a young kid is twenty years old and he wants to work today, he can find a fucking job making good money. He just can't find nobody to work. McDonald's is hiring, starting them out at eighteen to twenty two dollars an hour. So if they're paying eighteen to twenty two, he can probably get a job in the oil field no. making thirty. Oh, and so I guess I don't know, no, but yeah. I don't. I mean, and he's know. living at home. Oh, and he's got expendable income. It's they got everything. They he, got brand new guns. They got big ass trucks. They got thousand dollar kennels, fifteen hundred dollar shotguns. Or no telling how much they spent on decoys, shotgun shells. I just the math does not compute to are, me. They got a lot of. Are debt, they putting I in guess. an air conditioner at their house? <laughs> <laughs> Andy's AC went out, so Andy. Yeah. So yeah, they don't have those expenses. That's what I'm saying. They live at mom, most of them, or they got four guys and they live in an apartment and they don't pay no money. Yeah. It's cheaper to eat out than it is to buy groceries. Well, now that probably is true. And so they don't. I mean, they spend their money yeah. on beer and women waterfowl. and waterfowl. You're gonna go broke in the long run doing that shit. Yep, they're gonna have a lot of fun. <laughs> I guess that's a lot of fun. A lot of memories. That's the key right there is having lots of fun. <laughs> All right, Ben. Thank yeah. you. Be thirty years old. Yeah, yep. exactly. But a lot still, of memories. Still climbing out of that hole. Yeah, remember when I bought that fifteen hundred dollars shotgun? Man, that was the time. Still paying on that. 
All right, Ben, we're going to let you go, bud. Good luck this waterfowl season. Uh, if there's anything that we can do for you, let us know. And uh, I look forward to hearing how the Pacific guys do up there. It's going to be interesting. Appreciate hey, thank it. you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. And Glad it, you hopped on here with us. Thanks you for having me. God Appreciate bless you it, and guys. have a great day, my friend. See you, bud. Bye. See ya. Mr. Ben Commodore. Good guy. Ben. Very interesting conversation. 70, 80 degrees up there today. You wouldn't have to worry about that air conditioner. No, no. It happens. Part of being an adult, Jeff. Yep. We knew it was going to happen one day, and it just happened to happen over the weekend. So, The boys were comfortable this morning when I went over there. Yeah. Reese told me, he said, I think we're going to be staying with y'all for about two weeks. Did he say that? Yeah. I said, well, you're welcome here, bud. We're going to start, start getting you some chores lined up. Blake sent a picture. I guess his sciatic nerve is messed up. Uh-oh. He better get ready for the honeymoon. What is that's your back, isn't it? What has he been barking at? I'm sure somebody's coming down here. I don't know. He's in there. I'm in here. Um, I don't know what he's barking at. You don't bark unless the, someone's here. What's the sciatic nerve? That's that nerve that goes down your left leg or your right leg. Probably sitting too much. Well, that's kind of a rude thing to say about Blake. He's been working on a combine. But that's what you I can mean. Just, you can bend over and tie your shoes and hurt it. No, but that's what I mean. Like his no. job, he's on a combine. It's so just, he snapped it's, you it's, to tell you his sciatic nerves messed up. Yeah, he said this is the face of a guy whose sciatic nerve is fucked up. Sciatic is a pain going down the leg from the lower back. Yep. Man. Could have saved you some Wikipedia and done it myself. He's going to have a hard time. On his honeymoon. On his honeymoon and walking down the wedding. What he needs to do is he needs to lay down and lift his legs up above his head. That's what it says to do here. That ain't happening. Can you imagine no. his big ass laying down? And, no. Or no. he or he can go to a witch doctor and get acupuncture and uh that sounds like fake news acupuncture and uh chiropractor are you gonna watch football thursday i saw a bunch of starters are actually gonna play thursday russell wilson is which, i'd play his you, ass every fucking day until you blame no. him fuck no so is uh new orleans is playing all their starters and so is jacksonville i'm sure everybody that's kind of rebuilding or had a little bit of success last year is going to yep. it's gonna be interesting if rogers plays any he won't play it down you don't think so mm-hmm I'll be surprised if he plays until his regular season. Him or Garrett Wilson. Because it's the same offense he ran when Hackett was there? Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Timing would be it with his receivers a little bit. You can get a lot of that. Because that, that is one thing that they've said. Now with the joint practices and kind of the scrimmages that they do, you don't really need preseason. Because like today or tomorrow, who, everybody that they're playing this weekend – they're having a joint practice with, there and they're going to go live. There wouldn't be Zach Thomas if it wasn't for – well, I, but with the joint practices, that. he would be, though. But the NFL is eventually going to get to two preseason games and have 18 regular season games. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. They're going to give up one of them preseason games for 18 regular season games. You it's, said you didn't – my grandfather was telling you about the moment in Texas Tech history, and you don't remember it when Zach Thomas beat A&M? No. <sighs> Jeff. I'm not going to call you a fan anymore. I'm not a tech fan. That is asinine. To not be a tech fan? No. Not knowing about, the, you know, you said you're, you're a college football guy. I, know, I never said that either. But everybody knows about this play. Yeah, if you went to Texas Tech. It's iconic. You didn't know about it until you said something. Yes, I did, too. I think I was at the game. No, you weren't. It was in 95, Jeff. I was a big Texas Tech goer then. Zach so you, Thomas you, cried. You were five? Eight. Eight. That's right, Jeff. All right, let's get off here. Um, 
But I don't remember much about Zach Thomas playing. I don't. He, I mean, was he that good in the NFL? He was a good football. Yeah, he was a damn good football player. We're gonna have him on probably sometime next month or so. So you can ask him. Yeah, you keep saying that. I mean, I know, I know, like he's kind of got that Wes Welker undersized underdog mentality, but small is, small town six man kid from Texas is Wes Welker a Hall of Famer? It depends what stats you go by. If you go by the stats Drew Pearson got in on, yes, but. Probably I don't know, man. I saw where the, the they're going to put Tory Holt in next year. Uh, what's the other kid's name? Tory Holt and one of those other receivers from that same Isaac Tory Holt and somebody else. They were both the same. I mean, you're in those re- offense. They catch so many balls. I mean, hell, Justin Jefferson should be in the Hall of Fame probably. It's about birds. He's caught more balls probably than some guys are in the Hall of Fame did already, and he's been in the league three years. Right. So I I don't know. We're going to see a guy catch 150 passes before long if it hasn't happened yet. I bet De- I bet Devontae probably uh, 150. Done I don't that. know about that. That'd be eight catches a game. No shit, don't be more than that. Ten catches at 17 games now would be 170. Eight catches would be 150, 80, 136 catches. Eight catches a game would be 156 right now. Let's see if I can get a yearly breakdown. Yeah, Devontae is last year in Green Bay. He was at 123. Yeah, that's not 150. That's not very far off. That's a catch and a half Eight, a game. 17 games. If you caught 10 ga- ten, nine balls a game, you'd be at 90 and six, you'd be at nine game, nine catches a game, would be 153 catches. That's a lot of catches. Every game, nine. I, I think we'll see that easily. Well, it hadn't happened yet. It's coming. It's coming. Well, I, I would agree with you on that. I mean, hundred used to be the big threshold, and really? now what's what's the record? What Cooper Cup have last year? Just see what what all time wide receiving catches in each season are. I mean, fuck, there's running backs have caught a hundred balls in this season. Michael Thomas, one forty nine. One forty seven. That's close to one fifty. You're right. Stephon Diggs, one twenty seven. Cooper Cup, one forty five. Justin Jefferson, one twenty eight. So 149 is the record for catches. Yeah, it's got an asterisk by it. I don't know why. I don't have a clue. But yeah, 149, 145. Marvin Harrison 143. Antonio Brown 136. Julio Jones 136. Okay, but that's what that. I mean, we're we're trending that way. And when Antonio Brown and them did it, it was one game less. That yep. still would have been 15 catches to shoot 150. But 150 is going to be the new threshold in 2,000 yards receiving. 2,000 well, yards receiving will happen this year, I think. Well, and even the 3,000 yards passing has. That's not even a big deal. Like that used to be the standard. Yeah. Now it's if it's seventeen. If you play all seventeen games and you average four hundred yards a game, that's sixty eight hundred yards. I'm telling you, someone's going to throw for seven thousand yards in the next two years. That's a lot of yards. They throw so much now, and I would if I was best betting on it, I would guess the kid at San Diego is going to be the one that's going to do it. Oh, Herbert. Yep. Could be. That's my quarterback this year. No, you're going to have to beat me to him. Well, he's my first-round draft pick. You better pick ahead of me. He's going to be my first-round pick. You better pick ahead yep. of me is all I'm telling I'm going, you. If I do, I will. You better jump on him. He is the man to have this year. You better take him ahead of me. You heard it here first. Yep. All right, let's get out of here. Thank you all for listening to us. God bless you all. Have a great week. We're going to have Clay Reed at the end of the week. Be a good one. See you. Bye. Check out all of our great sponsors. Go check out Shin Gear. They just dropped another brand new product today, another jacket. So go check them out. Dirty Duck Coffee, Dive Ball Ministries, Pacific Calls, Boss Shot Shells, 
Looking Glass Podcast, Lucky Duck, Ducks Unlimited, Double T British Kennels, Sanford Outfitters, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Hemp Hill Farms, and Mossberg.